Hello, ho, ho, everybody, and welcome to the annual Purpuri Podcast Christmas special. I am George Thompson, joined by Daniel and David. A very Merry Christmas to you. We're actually recording this in December for once. <laughs> How are you guys doing? Yuletide greetings. Merry Christmas, one and all. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty good, um, to be honest. Um, the house is all Christmassy. Ahead of schedule, um, some people might say. Um, but I, I would like to poo-poo the anti-Christmas naysayers. I've had a long, hard day today uh, teaching in school, and uh, my cat is next to me. Um, and I've just been saying to David, I'm bathed in the uh, sort of maroony mauve uh, pink light of my uh, my Christmas tree lights, and it looks like I'm coming to you from a sort of Victorian brothel. So um, <laughs> it does. That's a vibe I'm very much in favour of. Yeah, 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 me too. I'm just sort of languidly smoking opium out of shot. Like Bobby uh, Stewart. <laughs> yes, yeah, I'm being serviced by um, a louche vampire. <laughs> I mean, that sounds very fun. Uh, David, yeah, yeah. I understand um, at the time of recording, it is uh, December the 7th. You've had a very good day, haven't you? I am reporting from Frahill Square. People <laughs> are, are, are jubilant, dancing in the streets. The revolution has come. The leader has fallen, they say, in their local language. Statues have been toppled. My, or my country, Patrick Thistle, it yearned for freedom. Today, it got it. David <laughs> Forrest reporting live. John Simpson's just out of shot as the tanks roll in. I'm, I mean, this is quite authentic because sometimes this podcast does have the audio quality of a 90s Balkan video phone. Just while we're on that theme, Merry Christmas, by the way, to everyone. I've had the best fucking day. It has been incredible. The 56% in favour of Scottish independence is like the third best thing that's happened to me today. Um, yeah, I am I am absolutely fucking swimming today. It's amazing. I'm having a great time. But, but for I the benefit to... of those that aren't um, au fait with what's going on, we should we should probably uh, uh, let them know what's happened because by the time this comes out, people might not have still might not have heard about this. Well, this podcast is usually four hours, and it'll be about nine if I go into the full details. <laughs> oh, Essentially, true. yes, we were ran by. Um, now that she's left, I can probably say this without being so tyrannical. Leader who basically put in a puppet uh, government of people um, who were all big yes men. They just basically uh, voted her in. And we all done some protests, and she resigned today. Her and the whole board, they all fucked off. We actually have fan ownership. Socialism has won, as we've always predicted. Get it um, right up you. Exactly. Get it right up you. Fuck you, Alan Ruff. I'm going to take your picture down from Far Hill. Yes, I, 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 I just <laughs> want to say quite sincerely, we'll get onto all the stupid shit afterwards, but genuinely quite sincerely, I was delighted to find this out. As someone that I've said many times, does support a ethically um, horrific, hetero-fueled, um, um, human rights-abusing, monarchical regime ownership of a, of a football club of mine. It is genuinely delight, delightful to me uh, and, and made me really happy uh, to see just a small push in the other direction of uh, a grassroots fan organisation getting one over on, um, you know, admittedly, perhaps not in the big scheme of things, quite as uh, heinous a villain as the, um, as the royal family of Abu Dhabi, but, but locally, just as, a, as, um, as a tyrannical, I would say. So fucking great stuff. Brilliant. Uh, would you would you like it, me to go into an anecdote I, I heard on Saturday that I think you would quite enjoy that's sort of vaguely topical at the moment of what of happened today? So we went to Cove Away. Don't go to Cove Away. It is a shithole, right? A total shithole. But I was in the bus with a friend of mine, James Deason, who we, we kind of talked in the pub a wee bit, but not really had a proper chat. And we had a full-on proper chat for three and a half hours on the bus or whatever. And he was telling me 
Uh, Ukraine won Eurovision and I want to say 2004 or 5, Ruslana Wild Dances, I, can't, I think it was 2004 or 5, but obviously they host it next year, apart from this year obviously, but they host it next year, so when Ukraine hosted Eurovision, they gave you the ability to get a free visa for a year, <laughs> you usually had to pay, but they, you, you could apply for a free visa for the whole year so that you could go so James and all his pals went, fuck it, you know what, we're going to Ukraine. So they applied for a free visa. And this wasn't for Eurovision, just a whole year you could go, whatever. And he was telling me when he went to he went to Ukraine, went and he got pissed on the first night and woke up absolutely hungover. And then um, he got woken up by this horrid noise, like this horrible, like this pure loud, loud banging noise when you're hungover, obviously not great. He said, what the fuck is going on outside? And he opened his window and their, their hotel was in like the square in Kiev. Um, mm. And it was the Orange Revolution. <laughs> he woke up, he'd went to the pub and got steaming to woke up the next day in the Orange Revolution had happened. And he's like, all right. And his pals are like, you got to the Victoria Bar later? Um, no, why? I'm, I'm currently in part of the Orange Revolution in the UK. See, I got, got steaming last night. And, I've, I've, yeah. I've woken up after I've been pissed, brutally hungover from the night before in Glasgow, and I've been in the middle of an orange march. I think politically, I, I'm not an expert. I think they're sort of different. Fuck it up. That, that, that's mad. And what is even more mad is going to be these questions that our lovely fans have uh, sent in. This is the uh, now traditional Q&A segment. If you ever listened to a Purple podcast Christmas special before, firstly, I can deeply apologise. Secondly, we tend to start off with just queries our fans have sent in. Uh, these are from uh, our Twitter followers. I'm going to start off with a nice easy one for us because I'm pretty sure we'll all have the same answer to this. Uh, at Nambasan Reacts asks... Which is the best Mandy, Patinkin, Rose or Mandelson? Um, so on one hand, we have a beloved actor, Mandy Patinkin from The Princess Bride and uh, the first two and a bit seasons of Criminal Minds. He's also in Homeland and um, uh, Mandy Rose from uh, NXT and um, uh, vampiric overlord Peter Mandelson of New Labour and uh, Current Labour. The, the, the man whom Gordon Brown's um, uh, spin doctor Charlie Whelan once famously said um, had, had a whiff of vanilla about him, um, which you can interpret <laughs> any way you, you, you like, but I don't, think it, I don't think it was meant to be in the, in the manner that he was a tame individual. No, so we're all going for Patinkin on this, I would, I would, I would guess, aren't we? Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, to be honest, I mean, the thing is, is that I um, I have no opinions whatsoever on Mandy Rose. I oh, mean, I haven't watched NXT Mandy Rose match probably for, oof, oof, I can't even remember what happened at Mania this year. If it was on Mania, I might have seen it, but yeah, so. Uh, I don't oh, believe. Yeah, there was a Mania this year, wasn't there? <laughs> as, as there tends to be, yes. Yes, yeah, yeah. Mm, two. Um, I, I don't know who the first one is. I'm not going to lie. I watched The Princess Bride about 30 years ago. I have no clue who <laughs> He's like the main is. guy in it. <laughs> I mean, my my favourite Mandy's no, Andre are. Andre the Giant is the main guy. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I mean, my favourite Mandy's are um, Ecstasy and the Nicolas Cage film. So <laughs> very good. I'll, I'll also put in a, a vote for the Barry Manilow song, which oh I, I, yes, I, yeah, I, I want... Manilow song. Now, can right? I, you know, when you you hear you, you hear something somewhere and, and you're you sort of convinced it's real, and then years later you repeat it, and people look at you like you're a fucking idiot, and you think maybe the person that originally told me this was taking the piss and I've just not known for decades, right? Can you either of you confirm the song Mandy by, by, by Mr. Barry Manilow? I, someone once told me years ago that um, he, he was actually battling alcoholism at the time and was addicted to drinking brandy, but he didn't want anyone to know, so he did a song called Mandy. So the Mandy in the song is actually meant to be Brandy, um, and, and Brandy has a kind of a, a horrible hold over his life. Uh, is, is this true, or have I been been taken for a ride for fucking years? I mean, I'm I'm not I'm not I'm not sure going to lot. disprove it. 
but it's okay. So according to Wikipedia, it's uh, so it was originally called Brandy, but he didn't write it, and apparently okay. he changed the title because to avoid confusion with uh, the 1972's number one hit Brandy You're a Fine Girl by Looking Glass which uh, you can How uh, you fucking might... thick do you think people were? <laughs> I don't know I mean <laughs> a song you might know from the soundtrack to uh, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 um, or just from like you know, being interested in music uh, so yeah I don't I, I think your friend has taken you for a ride I once covered Mandy at the um, college music festival when I was a student but my my solo set turned out to coincide with an England World Cup match. So I just ripped through everything at Dawes Green. I'll tell you what, you've never heard Mandy by Barry Manilow last one minute and 50 seconds. I've, uh, I've covered a few Mandys in my time. <laughs> very good. So thank you very much for that question at Nambasan Reacts. This one's probably going to be quite easy. Uh, at Soldier Pay Pig asks, what's the longest Christmas film you've watched? Is, is oh. Das Boot a Christmas film? It feels <laughs> Christmassy. I'm it's, not going to lie. Is a Christmas film? <laughs> um, I mean, f- from my perspective, I mean... Probably it's a wonderful life, which I actually hadn't seen until last year. Um, it's um, I, I, I actually really like um, it's a wonderful life. I, I, I think love it's, it's a wonderful. I think life. it's a great film. It is slightly dated in parts. Like there's, there's there's a really funny bit near the end where like um, Jimmy Stewart's shown by the guardian angel like uh, you know what what would have happened if he'd like never existed and like ah your wife she's an old maid she never married and then like yeah. she comes out of the library and like she's like extremely hot but they've just put some glasses on her. Yeah. <laughs> And a boy, Clarence. Yeah, it is a great, it's a great film. I can't, I can't actually think of a of a Christmas film longer than It's a Wonderful Life, much less what I've watched. Berlin Alexanderplatz. <laughs> How long is Zulu? Because I find that all the best Christmas films are films that aren't actually like they're, they're Christmas films because they're played at Christmas all the time, and Zulu is always like a box. Zulu and Moonraker and Zulu is long. Like, yeah, I mean, I, 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 had, I, just, yeah. I had this conversation with an Indian friend once because um, she asked me like what christmas is is like in, in this country is it like uh much of a religious thing i said well not really for most people like they kind of pay lip service to it maybe but it's nice to go home and see all your friends and your family and all the same films are always on the tv like um the sound of music and the great escape and she was like those aren't christmas films why are they always on at christmas and i genuinely hadn't thought about it before <laughs> i just said i guess people just love films about nazis at <laughs> christmas is this like that german film they show in new year's every year and uh, it's like a comedy film and it's been shown it for like 40 years and they just show it every year and everyone tunes into it I'm totally blanking on naming it but it's a German film they show every year in Germany and like every channel Fritz Lang's Metropolis <laughs> <laughs> Berlin Alexanderplatz <laughs> you're just going to keep saying that on a loop aren't you it's a new hello everybody I'm just going to put in a random Berlin Alexanderplatz for an episode that, that number again oh <laughs> the Roger Ebert of North London. Um, so, uh, next question uh, at uh, Sandre the Giant. This is a kind of a companion question to the one he asked last year, which was, um, I believe, which wrestlers would you like to see front metal bands? This one is, which metal front people would make the best wrestlers? He has uh, suggested one for us. George Fisher has got to be up there. I'll bet Chris Masters had a picture of him with hashtag goals written on it in his gym. Um, I've got a few just um, just to start us off. Uh, that I thought of. Um, I think Corpse Grinder kind of goes without saying, because like he's he's a he's a pretty big dude. Sarah thinks he looks like Bret Hart. I don't see it, but like it can maybe be Smith. Um, and um, he's got he's got he's got a great gimmick as well. He's like he's the singer of a, a band which like sing about some really horrible stuff. And in his spare time, he goes out and wins toys from claw machines and donates them to children's homes. Like genuinely great guy. It's, I think it's got the only reason I stay on Instagram is every time he does it, uh, the, the comments underneath are from people from other 
incredible metal bands like the glitterati of extreme metal all come out going oh george what you like you know i always <laughs> knew you were amazing at claw machines and so fucking dave vincent from fucking morbid angel or something <laughs> i'll just come in it to show it. it's 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 a william regal with um franz and boyton's caucus and you just have to stand back and avoid <laughs> and, and also, he, he's got a slight wrestling connection because a few weeks ago um i watched this match i've actually commissioned handwork reviews to uh to review this just because i just because i absolutely love this is the an indie match from like 2009 and the match is pretty average it's like executed well but there's nothing i would say is stellar about it but the setting is what elevates it to the level of the truly delightful because it takes place at a metal show uh you know how sometimes like you know progress would run download and nxt uk ran download and that so in the background like trivium are just finishing up a set and then cannibal corpse come on after so the finishing sequence of the match is like over this canvas of cannibal corpse performing i come blood Great stuff, great stuff. I, I, I've, I've just on a side note, but connected. Have you guys um, been watching the um, the sort of follow up to Dark Side of the Ring, which is the um, uh, Tales from the Territories, the Vice uh, uh, series? I haven't actually. No. Uh, I mean, it's it, it's good. I mean, a lot of it is just like it's old lads sat around a table um, uh, recycling a lot of uh, a, a lot of hoary old tales, which are probably bullshit, um, and you've heard a million times before, and sort of you know putting themselves over a lot. But the one about Memphis, which obviously you know injected into my veins. I never knew this happened. There was a match that took place. It was, uh, it was, I think it was Jeff Jarrett and um, oh fuck, um, uh, Dutch Mantel, um, I think. And um, it was uh, basically um, every year on on, in, on Memphis or, or Tennessee television, they would have this like live uh, show from this um, uh, symphony orchestra. Um, it's like traditional that I have every year. And these two guys had a match while the symphony orchestra and the conductor uh, did a, li- a live accompaniment to it. And it was fucking really cool. And at the end, they uh, they they pulled um they, they, the 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 orchestra actually got involved in a spot. So the guy that plays the big bass drum, bigger uh, lambeg drum, uh, he um uh, uh, jumped down off the stage as if to intervene to stop Dutch Mantel from beating up blowjob babyface Jeff Jarrett. Nice. Um, and for his trouble, got his drum smashed over his head. Um, oh my god! Can, can yeah, you imagine yeah, that? Stuff. Like um, Simon Rattle just doing a run in. Yeah, yeah. Herbert von Callahan would never have stood for this. Um, <laughs> Shade, uh, Shades yeah. of the Bluegrass Brawl. Do you remember, was it Damien Sandow and Dolph yeah. Ziggler? Yeah. Or, yeah. yeah. Wasn't yeah, Herbert yeah, von yeah. Callahan um, the guy from Titanas and El Ring? Yeah. <laughs> I've, um, I've got one for this. Uh, so um, we should, I should also point out, this is um, our, 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 our pal Sandy. Sandy is um, uh, he's got he's got good taste in metal. Does Sandy? Um, he uh, he writes some um, uh, uh, really good reviews uh, for a couple of different blogs as well. Um, so he, he does know his stuff. So yeah, I went for I, I went uh, uh, for Carl Sanders of Nile fame. Oh, that's um, a great shout! A great and shout. Re- and there's a couple of reasons I went for that. First of all, um, I hadn't quite realised this until recently because um, I, I pretty much only really fuck with a couple of Nile, Nile albums. Um, the, the debut record. Uh, which I really enjoy, um, and also um, Black Seeds of Vengeance from the early 2000s is, is one of those that I really like as well. For those that haven't heard them before, they're a, a sort of prototypical uh, uh, technical with a capital T death metal band, but they're um, but they're, they're not quite as wanky as some of that stuff that, that sort of becomes. They're very tight, very compact, very brutal. But the thing that really sells Carl Sanders for me is that I watched a few videos of them live recently, um, and he's a big old unit. <laughs> is, is, is Carl Sanders, um, and I'd never really thought of him that way before. But he's um, he, he's a man of courage, but he also he, he's got a real presence, and and, he, and he's got a very sort of uh, vintage um, old uh, sort of like um, uh, late period Kenta Kibashi vibe going on because his knees look completely fucked, and whenever he plays guitar, he sort of has to now be sort of sort of set in one place, um, and his headbanging's a little bit lackluster compared to what it used to be. He's getting on a little bit. 
Um, but also, he's got an inbuilt fantastic gimmick. Because uh, for those that aren't aware, or you might get it from the name, Nile comes from uh, the River Nile, and their whole sort of shtick is that um, all their songs are themed around ancient Egypt and um, ancient Egyptian themes. They even incorporate some ancient Egyptian um, instrumentation into some of their tracks. And he himself is um, a real sort of like, I don't know if he's got any degree in it or anything or if you study for a doctorate or anything but he's um he, he really knows his stuff so i was imagining a kind of um a, a really cool sort of like egyptian mythology gimmick that he could do uh, where you know he sacrifices his um his uh, his, his opponents to like you know the ra the sun god uh, or, or something oh, like wow. that uh, yeah yeah yes more on that later folks <laughs> there was the um the assyrian portal in chikara which was an ancient egyptian well yeah state. yeah yeah so i was like, thinking it I think that um, he should have, you know how people, some people have like a, a signature weapon. So like Finlay has the shillelagh and Yeah, stuff. yeah, yeah. He needs a sleeve stick. Lash yeah. to the sleeve stick. Absolutely. The album that that's, uh, that's off, uh, Annihilation of the Wicked, actually used to be my go-to album. Because like when I used to, I used to live in a flat in West Leeds, me and Sarah, and this guy moved into the flat opposite and he would often be playing like wank techno music on like a Saturday morning, which uh, like, which I could hear through the wall. So whenever we used to do that, I would either play some really avant-garde orchestral music like uh, Ina Yohani Rautavara or Luigi Nono or, or someone like that. Or I would stick on Annihilation of the Wicked by Nile because I was like, okay, I like this music a lot, but I'm pretty sure you ain't gonna. <laughs> so, um... <laughs> you know what the really funny thing is? This really shows you how, how well we we fit on this podcast i have literally done this to my neighbor as well with the same <laughs> album literally annihilation of the and, and, and just to add some spice to this um i i have been on the receiving end of this when i've been up at saturday <laughs> on a saturday morning still playing techno music too loud oh god i mean i've got i've actually got um i've actually got um just a couple of others um this is kind of cheating a little bit because um darby allen appears to have like lifted a lot of his persona wholesale from this fella but dead from mayhem yes and as well yeah. as all the other you know, as well as all the other singers who have uh, appropriated like some of his uh, persona. Also, mm. um, Matthias Warlord Nygaard from Tourisas, based purely on the fact that about half the male professional wrestlers in Finland seem to have a Tourisas gimmick. In fact, I um, <laughs> I saw a I actually saw a wrestling poster when I was on holiday in Helsinki earlier this year, and there was a Tourisas guy on the poster. <laughs> so nice. I was very pleased to uh, see that. So yeah, um, David, have you got any um, others that you would like to add to this? Yeah, so a couple. Although I would like to say I I love to assess purely because he once took a two-page ad in Kerrang for an accordionist, yeah. um, which is a, a great a great a great thing. But um, he I ended thought, up in Nentafilm. Yeah, so my thought was Bolt Thrower, Carl Willis and yes. Bolt Thrower. Yes, yes. Um, but in the gear from the Realm of Chaos cover because obviously yeah, 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 yeah. Warhammer, so just like <laughs> looking like a fucking space marine. That'd Dude. be great. I. And not to get a Bone Street crew on you, you know, and sound like a proper old Um But I think Trey Azikoff from Morbid Angel already, oh, I was gonna, yeah. is, already is a professional wrestler because, yeah. um, and I, I can relate to this a lot, to be honest. Morbid Angel didn't put an album out for like eight years because um, Trey Azikoff was too busy playing uh, Quake Online. In a, in a Sailor Moon themed clan. Um, <laughs> after my own. To ever bother to record any rest from Morbid Angel. I think his mum and dad are like independently wealthy. They're, they're quite well off, so he doesn't need to work, if you know what I mean. So I think he's got a bit of money, but I just spent like eight years playing Quake in a Sailor Moon I mean, to be fair, clan. to be fair, when you're the greatest death metal guitarist that ever lived, like, yeah, you know, but it, it's, it, 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 
is there anything more modern day wrestling than a guy just spending years of his life playing online video games in a clan named after an anime? I mean, oh, he, he'll be. Not. He'll be an EVP in AEW in no time. <laughs> I mean, and he's also got like a, that would be a great ring name as well. That is a great ring name, yeah. Yeah, it's um, fantastic. Yeah, wholeheartedly yeah. agree with this. Um, next question is, um, I guess, slightly adjacent to uh, Sailor Moon Quake Clans. Uh, at Illustrated Law, friend of the show, um, asks, and I think David might have to do the heavy lifting on this. Well, which, mm, mm, well mm, mm. which Magic the Gathering deck type would each member of the Up Up Girls use and why? Uh, <laughs> I, I, I barely know what any of that sentence means. <laughs> well, David, the floor is yours. Funnily enough, Daniel, you're not alone on this because... <laughs> A, I haven't watched the Up Up Girls in about two years. And B, I haven't played Magic the Gathering in about two years either. So okay. this um, is a bit I mean, of that. I will say, um, oh. I did have a wee look. Obviously, we know Raku. Yes. Um, being a train enthusiast myself, um, a closet train enthusiast. I did look up. There's a train deck for in Magic the Gathering. Somebody's made an I, I Like Trains deck. There's um, a mechanic called Crew, where you can turn... You turn vehicles into creatures. Uh, so there's a whole bunch of vehicle cards that you can use, but they're not creatures, but you can turn them into creatures because it can give you added effects, whereby if you have X amount of creatures on the board, you get everybody gets plus two or whatever, stuff like that. So I'd probably say that would be Raku's. You're going to have to jog me in the other up-up girls, I'm not going to lie. Okay, well, I've, I actually prepared something. This is um, <laughs> I actually prepared something sort of along these lines, which might, might jog your memory. So, because I I've only played Magic the Gathering once, and that was at your place years ago. I I do play Yu-Gi-Oh, however. So I I was going to say it's, it's. I knew you played something, but it's Yu-Gi-Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not very good at it, but I do know a bit about Yu-Gi-Oh. So, um, there's a train deck in Yu-Gi-Oh as well. So that's going to be um, uh, Raku's. It's actually like it's actually pretty good. It's kind of caveman-like in in the sense that like you try and bring on a bunch of like absurdly powerful shit, and like you don't really worry too much about defense. Um, Hikari Noah, who is the um, the one with all the piercings and who love death matches so i've got a couple for her there is um the metal foes slash heavy metal foes uh, archetype that should be fairly self-explanatory or also one called uh, uh fight furs which uh, they start off as, as cute little uh, like teddy bear type things and then like you can play some card to transform them into like these five nights at freddy style fucking abominations and i thought that might lend to the idea mm. of like someone who sort of looks sweet but plays nasty uh mir watanabe who is um the pink energetic idol is uh, sorry the muscular and energetic idol she calls herself um she she's actually legit really into idol groups and there is a, a deck called trick stars which uh, is based on uh, idol musicians um and now the play style is based around gradually chipping away your opponent's life points bit by bit so it doesn't really mesh with uh, Mio Watanabe's wrestling style which is kind of sort of smash mouth and power based but um, aesthetically I think it fits and finally uh, Shino the newest member of the Up Up Girls uh, we don't know a lot about this superstar Taz I don't think she's actually even wrestled yet but she has performed with them uh, but she did used to be a guide on bus tours like you know the open top bus tours like they have in uh, London and there are actually Yu-Gi-Oh cards called tour guide from the underworld and tour bus from the underworld so like I don't think you could could make a deck based just around those but like something to do with fucking cards into your graveyard uh like milling strategies uh something like that so david basically we want something aligned with uh, a heavy metal deathmatch sicko a muscular girl who's into idols and someone who was a tour guide <laughs> can you provide anything so i mean the muscular girl i mean uh, i would probably say that seems like if anyone here actually does play magic the gathering on the reg here though i will sound like i'm talking about the blitz 
when I'm <laughs> it is, I don't want any sex for the last about three, four years, right? But I am um I'm a friend once played a set with the Free Titans of Eldrazi. So this was it was a huge thing for a while. Oh, even I've even I've heard of that. Yeah, and it was like these were like obscenely powerful cards and if you got one of them out you could probably win a game it was really tough if you got all three out it was properly i remember i played against someone who got all three out and he actually like, took a picture of their board state because they're like <laughs> oh my hell. god like, i can't believe i've been able to pull this off so i imagine that would be some sort of there was lots of dark powerful cards that are like 18 18 power toughness and stuff like that and yes that sounds like that or maybe breaker of armies card so the breaker of armies card is basically um, when you attack, everyone has to block you. So the idea is is that you take out so many cards with your card in the process if you can buff it up so you can kill a whole bunch of them. They're not allowed to not block, if you know what I mean, because you usually have a choice in who blocks, but they all have to block, and you can kill lots and kind of wipe out a lot. So the muscular person, I feel like that, that card, Break of Amos, would work really well for that, as well as some sort of Eldrazi shenanigans. And the Deathmatch one, obviously big bumps lots of damage stuff like that i would probably say my one of my favorite cards is a card called blasphemous act and it basically the way it works is that if you play it everything gets 13 damage so every creature now usually life totals are under 10 unless it's a big powerful card so you're basically it's a reset on the game essentially when you play it i remember i once played a game where there was another card in the deck that basically if you played a card after it, you, you put it underneath it, and then every time someone played a card of a certain type, every card underneath this one that they had played repeated. So every time someone played a creature, everyone got hit by 13 damage, and no one could play anything, because any time you played a creature, it was immediately destroyed. Um, so yeah, some sort of blasphemous act probably sounds, because that makes me think of explosions and big bumps and stuff like that, so I maybe go with that. Um, and the last one was... The tour bus guide one. Yes, that's a tough one. I, I mean, she is a beginner, so like at the whole rest of the like if, a good yeah, beginner deck. Yeah, if she's a bit, if she's a beginner, I would say it's probably going to be one of the sort of commander precon decks. They're usually very good, and they're usually sort of set out, and um, you know, there's enough where you can kind of play with it, even if you're up against goblins who get who take pictures of their board state when they get the free titans out on the deck or whatever but um yeah so probably some sort of pre-con commander deck because they're really good but they are i was speaking as someone who cannot build a deck to save their life oh um, <laughs> yeah it, it comes in handy for that way. I, I, I'll also just say as an addendum to this before we move on to the next question, there are not one but two card archetypes in Yu-Gi-Oh based on wrestling. So there is a archetype called Dino Wrestlers, um, which are relatively recent. Dino Wrestler Pancratops has become kind of a... Um, Dino Wrestler Pancratops, he's in uh, Minchinoku Pro, isn't he? Like... <laughs> it's become kind of an option where like, you can just splash it into your deck. It, it can do a job, even if you don't play the archetype. The other one is called uh, Goki, or uh, strong oni, uh, kind of that translates as a strong uh, an oni as a kind of devil. These are all named after uh, wrestling moves, and there is one called Goki uh, Rising Scorpio. So there is actually a Yu-Gi-Oh card based on Mika Satomura. So I thought that was uh, thought that was a pretty cool thing. And, and why shouldn't there be? She is great. Next question um, at fmac95. Uh, he's actually got a couple of questions for us. Firstly, uh, Shagmari Kill, uh, Simon Hashmikov, Victor Zangiev, and Volkan. I, uh, it, Trick question, quite... you can't kill any of them. <laughs> that's a, <laughs> I know. That's um, a... mm, I'm trying to think, I'm trying to balance up those 
out which one I fancy the most with how useful I ever want my arsehole to be again. <laughs> um, I was um, saying Zangief seems more limber because he used to be the one that would like Joshi bridge out of like headlocks and stuff like that. So I probably he's the most limber. So you probably have to go shag for that. I mean, I I do tend to like um, a bear, but he is so hirsute <laughs> that, that I do worry that it might be a bit much. If anything, um, he's too hirsute, Clive. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Are wrestlers getting hairier, Clive? Um, um, the game's gone. The game's gone. Yeah, I mean, well, my arsehole certainly will be. Um, I mean, I think to be honest, I mean, I actually, you know what? I'm going to go with Shag Volkan because okay. I think out of the three, he would be the kindest and most considerate lover. <laughs> um, in, in in terms of the way he would treat me, you know, yes, sure, he, he he might choke me, but he'd do it in an elegant way. Whereas I feel I feel I feel like the other two might actually just sort of you know literally kill me. Um, so I'd probably go with Volkan. Uh, yeah, well, yeah, Volkan would, res- would respect my safe word, but then, oh, but then marry. Hmm. Actually, you know what? No, I know, no. I would marry. Um, I would marry Zangief because mm-hmm. I think overall he was probably the real life hardest, um, <laughs> and he could and he could protect me. But I don't want to kill Hashmikov, so I feel terrible because we I love mean, them all. We do love them all, but like, I mean, Warren's got to go. I would personally go for. I think marry Zangiv because um, I assume he's uh, I assume he's loaded from Street Fighter royalties. Yep. As far as to shag um, Salmon Hashmikov, uh, why, why why not? I would I would probably enjoy that. <laughs> I've mentioned other podcasts before that I'm bisexual, by the way, because this is a really really weird way of uh, of announcing. It, it. it was in an outro one t- one episode. Yes. Oh, was it? Okay, fair <laughs> enough. Well, I, this I, I don't know if I've ever announced it, but I don't think it's necessary, really. No, not really. Like I think if you listen, to, <laughs> I think I think you've announced that bisexual is not grand enough a term for no, you. No, no, it's encompassed the the uh, the panoply of perversions. He's, he's I, um... bisexual or pansexual, but a secret third thing. Yeah. I'm just um, a big giant. Fuck. And, and um, I would say uh, kill Volkan because uh, I've seen some of his TikToks since the war in Ukraine started. And let me tell you, oh, <laughs> oh, no. I, I, I got sent one by a friend of mine where he was. Hang uh, on, wait, wait, sorry. Just pause. Let's rewind a bit. Let's fucking pull it off here, right? Volkan has a TikTok. He does have a TikTok. Fuck off. He does. <laughs> Yeah, he's got a TikTok <laughs> and he is using it to post some things. Um, there was one there was one video where he was kind of um, juxtaposing like footage of like various atrocities in uh, Iraq or Iran or Syria and then just like making the little shush um gesture to his lips and then some footage of ukraine and him just like miming like loads of people talking uh, and, and it's like okay like there is a point to be made that like there's not much attention does get paid to conflicts in those part of the world yeah, compared but... with you know, what's going on this year <laughs> however i don't think he's making that point for good no, reason i would say kill volcan get him in get him in the earth <laughs> i, I didn't think today i would see someone i respected so much fall so far more then Mick Harris from Napalm Death posted oh, a video oh, We're going to see them in a couple of weeks. Oh, pal. Oh, no, he's not oh. in them anymore. He's, oh, he's... well, okay, great, yeah. cool, good. Yeah, no, Mick Harris is the original drummer of Napalm Death, the best yeah. drummer of all time, except maybe Neil Peart. But even then, it's a, it's a close contest. But uh, Mick Harris posted today about how fucking strikers, fucking, you're going and say, do your, do your job, do your job, uh, honest work. Like, oh, fucking do your fucking job, Mick. Go on, do your fucking job. 
Not, 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 not liking strikers. What, what is he, Roma in 2012? Yeah, you know, uh, <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah, um, but Mick Harris, a man who, who speaks in caps lock. I know that isn't a thing, but he yeah. speaks and types in caps lock. It's, it's weird. He's, it's odd. Uh, Poor fucking Barney and the rest of the boys. Uh, I, I know. Human beings. Um, Dave, David, uh, this um, triumvirate of, uh, of, of men. Uh, Shag Mary Kill. I say, I think Zangief would be quite limber. So I'd go to Shag Zangief. I would marry Hashmikov after that guy in the wrestling class that's thrown in detail this day on the, on the Skype with Hashmikov <laughs> and Zangief. You'd have all the, the jeans you wanted. Brody. That's true. And then I would kill Volcan because, frankly, if we don't then he'll kill us all. So, you know. <laughs> Frankly, my dear, I don't give a hand. He's <laughs> like, so get in before we get to you the Stephen Gerrard nightclub fight defence. Um, and uh, we've actually got a second question from uh, FMAC95, which says, how many pints in do you have to be to book Duncan Ferguson in Gleet? I would say zero pints. I think that's just yeah, 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 yeah. we need a pint. Yeah. <laughs> okay, well, that's the, the book close on that one. Uh, kind of a similar question and related to some of the stuff we have uh, historically talked about, particularly this year. Kind of more wholesome version of FMAC95's question, which is uh, at Benny Five Bellies asks, who would you rather take home to your mother, Stan Hansen or Gary Albright? Gary Albright's a collegiate athlete, isn't he? Yes, yes, he is. Mm. He's got a degree. I, yeah, I, that's I, true. I, I think my family would appreciate someone who also went to uni. I don't know what, you know, credentials. Stan Hansen's credentials are just lariating everything into next week. Yeah, and if you've got a problem much. with that, you'll have to speak to smash. I think he'd be good at DIY. Yeah, I'll give him that. I think he'd be handy around the house, Stan Hansen. But... Yeah, Gary Albright's got that degree. It might be, you know, sound production from Stowe College or whatever, but it's a degree. I, I, Sorry, I, just, I, I was going to point out that every single person in Glasgow that ever like used to deal me weed when I was 18 was that that fucking uh, went to Star College to do music production. Yeah, <laughs> it's a stereotype for a reason. Um, I would say I would probably rather take. I mean, we're assuming like take home as like a sort of romantic partner. I'd probably say Big Stan just because. My mum has a thing about beards, like particularly goatees. So I don't think uh, I don't think Mr. Albright would cut the mustard. And uh, as we know, he is a genuine menace. I, I'm I'm going to counter both because I I don't right. I might look like a proper fucking spanner here, right? But I'm pretty sure that I remember. I, I could be totally wrong now. And you're going to tell me that Gary Albright is not only a genuine menace, but he's like some sort of fucking absolute nonsbag or something. But I'm sure. I'm sure years ago, I sort of rem- I remember someone saying or reading or hearing on a podcast somewhere that in his private life, was Gary Albright not just sort of like quite dedicated to his wife and like quite a nice. He's just like, he, you never he, really. He was sort it. of a gentle yeah. giant and, and sort of like, um, I always get the impression from him as well because, um, as, as everyone that listens to the podcast knows, I'm, I'm a big Albright fan. And I always sort of got the impression that he was a guy that sort of was, you know, willing to throw himself into unusual environments and sort of, you know, try things, new things out and experiment. You know, he goes from collegiate wrestling to this shoot wrestling environment. And I always kind of got the sense that Gary Albright was a, a, a bit like sort of um, your classic sort of a um, typhoon, people like that, who everyone would say, big guy, quite scary, but lovely bloke behind the scenes. Oh, yeah, or the big boss man. That kind of, yeah, yeah. Or, or the classic one being Haku there, who would literally murder you if you loved it, if you said anything bad about his kids, but was a completely dedicated family man. So I yeah. got those vibes from Albright. So I'd maybe take him because I think Hanson now see, comes across when we think about him as, a, as almost a genteel figure uh, because of his advancing years and the fact that everyone just fucking loves Stan Hanson because, you know, if you don't, then why do you even watch wrestling? What's the point? But I reckon back in the day, he would have been a real hell-raising bastard 
Oh, yeah, um, no, the, the, yeah. yeah, I mean, I actually included this in the Rise and Fall of Rick Adozan because um, it was kind of such a vivid image. Like, yeah, he used to get drunk just like in Tokyo and then just like run down the street, fuck it, like just barrel down it like um, yeah. the boulder from Crash Bandicoot. And if you got in his way, you're basically going to end up like uh, all them people, Richard Ashcroft shoulder barges in uh, the Bit Sweet Symphony video. Um, yeah. But I, I, to be fair to Big Stan, I think he is like a dedicated family man as well. I think he's been married to the same woman for... Cause how long? Because she, she was oh, yeah. the same ceremony. They've got kids together. Quite a sort of uh, quite a sort of even-handed approach to this. Um, at uh, Per Anderson asks, "How big is Batista's dick?" And then in the next tweet, Fulgencio, if it wasn't obvious, <laughs> micro micro dick, CIA-backed fast despot, knob like a pound coin. That's what I'm going to say. No, absolutely. Um, yeah. To be honest, I reckon it's almost sort of like um, there's there's a sort of a, a gaping void where it's a bit. I bet it was a bit like Action Man. You know, it's just it, you take his pants off and it's just this sort of like lifeless, non, non-human non sort of plastic mound. Like a eunuch. <laughs> yes, yeah, a yeah. shiny yeah. eunuch, yeah. He's eunuched himself, himself out for capital. Um, yeah. <laughs> just imagine him like being like the grimmer worm tongue of the Byzantine emperor's court. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The mafia have got it in a jar somewhere. <laughs> Fucking yeah, <laughs> fuck him. Not to go off Vladimir Lenin on you, but haven't we all eunuched ourselves for capital? Hey, <laughs> hey, Very good. Um, at Gas Tank Adam asks. Now I've had to sort of pare this question down a little bit just because we we could talk about this for hours. Um, if you had to pick a wrestler to represent each supermarket in the UK, who would they be and who would win between them all? Uh, I mean, we are no strangers to uh, supermarket-based viral content, as long-time listeners of the podcast will know. However, each supermarket in the UK is um, quite the task. So I'm going to narrow it down to I want a wrestler to represent like the sort of little slash Aldi uh, sort of budget supermarkets want to represent like the the, the big four, the four pillars, if you will, um, and uh, also want to represent like um, Waitrose. So like, none of your budgeons or booth shites, you know, no fucking food giant and Neto. We're just like going to cut her in the mud. <laughs> in the mud. Um, no Blue Lagoon, David. Oh, good, good. <laughs> we, are, we are going to so yeah a, a wrestler for little and aldi so someone who is like they kind of look rough and ready but they're actually like pretty decent only larkin oh that is oh, that's incredible yeah yeah, oh. Matt, yeah no I, I like that or, or even better danny birch i, I would say who, yeah, who, 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 who did get quite good i thought he did only yeah, larkin online really embodies the middle aisle though doesn't he because he can say true. anything. Like you, you go into you go into Lidl and get a leave and a bottle of vodka and a tent. And you only went in for bread. Um, <laughs> that that's gonna be my new insult to centrist. Like they're so middle aisle. <laughs> I've got I've got one for Waitrose. Yeah, go on. Right, don't, don't I, I don't care what anyone says. Wait, Waitrose, right? Will Osprey is Waitrose all fucking day. Right? Ooh, he's Waitrose all fucking day because we think of Waitrose right as being this sort of you know we almost think of it as being a, you know high received pronunciation sort of like you know uh, uh, sort of the, the the aristocracy of your average uh, uh, supermarket. I bet bourgeois. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But Will Osprey is exactly the kind of guy who, um, who who I can see shopping in there because he's the kind of guy that uh, has this sort of you know cheeky nando's a cheeky chappy sort of bullshit going on. But you just know for a fact that when it comes down to it. He has absolute contempt for all those that earn less money than him. Um, because he's a <laughs> yes. notorious cop. He rinses any... And the thing is about him as well is that you think, oh, but why would Will Ospreay go there? He's notoriously cheap as fuck. He transfunds his mum's new car or fucking, you know, uh, uh, whatever it might be. But I think the thing we have to remember is is that 
with all that ill-gotten gains he get, that kind of thing. Imagine how many waitresses like ready meals he could get with it. Like, <laughs> he's I, sitting at home laughing at you all, laughing at you all. I, I was uh, going to say related to Will Ospreay and actually a member of his faction, uh, Lord Gideon Gray, who not only worked a New Japan show this year but did so as a wrestler. Unbelievable. <laughs> fair, fair play to him. My 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 friend Jose sent me a picture of the United Empires promo shot, and he was like, "They're trying to look like characters in a Tarantino film, but only two of them actually pull it off, like Gideon Gray and like one of those." I was like, no, no, Gideon Gray, he's a character in a Tarantino film, but he's the character who gets played by Tarantino himself. Yeah, yeah. There's always one, and sometimes he's going to be doing an Australian accent for some reason. He won't really know why, because the film's set in the Old West, and he might say the N-word a bit, but ooh, he's been a bit ironic. Anyway, um, who is the sort of, the, the real solid, like, middle? If we say, I don't know, just take Tesco as, like, the, very much the, the kibashi of the big four, I think. Hmm, let me think. I think the big four being the four powers is a very good shout. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's that's true. Towie is Morrison's through and through. Um, <laughs> he is. I don't know why, but he is. He is so Morrison's. Yeah, so <laughs> Misawa would be Asda, Kabashi is Tesco, and Kawada Sainsbury's. Because even though uh, they are more expensive than everybody else, they do amazing jam donuts. So they're a bastard, but you love them. Yes. Which one? Which which? What's the name of a supermarket which is like isn't open when you think it would be like Kawada's Ramen House? <laughs> <laughs> Those wounds still run deep. Yes, yeah, it's, it's Spa, isn't it? He's a he's a spa. Oh, we didn't even didn't even think of Spa. Spa is Ilya Dragunov, and it's big in the continent, and we and we think <laughs> it's only the UK. He's actually far bigger in the continent. Than oh yeah, yeah, Spa Spas are actually there's loads in Eastern Europe. I think because they got in right at the start of like the the economic shock therapy. And the first shop that I went to when I moved to Spain was a spa. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, there's fucking loads of them. It's mental. Yeah. Anyway, uh, final question. Uh, at Sarah Parking One. Uh, Never heard I, of it. <laughs> I assume you know I'm going to ask about the pedestrianisation of Norwich City Centre. So in the meantime, rank the real four pillars, Kong, Nakano, Toyota and Hokuto. I mean, this could take hours. I assume this is her revenge for all the times David and I have derailed episodes of Big A Podcasting Universe talking about, I don't know, Marco Negri or something. I do have an answer for this. Uh, well, I'll, I'll, I'll just say right now, Nakano, Kong, Hokuto, Toyota. That's me. I, I'm I'm the same, but I think Hokuto over Kong. But Bulnakano, I think, is is top for me, just for you know a variety of reasons. Big character, great wrestler, interesting career in that she uh, wrestled not just in Japan but also in the WWF and in CMLL. Although um, Hokuto also went over to those territories as well. Toyota definitely fourth, I think, and th- this kind of like brought me on to the extent to which she has sort of become, I guess, the default answer to who's the best female wrestler of all time. Like, is it just like Meltzer and Quackenbush who have like put that through? Because like, to my understanding, that's like not uh, really an opinion that people hold in Japan. Yeah, I've got sort of thing about this. Yeah, I mean, um, for me, up until I started doing a real sort of serious deep dive in, into Joshi, uh, well, I was always into Joshi. I was watched plenty of it. I'd, I'd, I'd always seen plenty of stuff from all, all four of those guys and, and, and loved them all. But it was very much, and this is about 2015, 16, I'd say I started doing this. Um, at the time, it was very much received wisdom, as you say. And I think mo- a lot of it came from Meltzer, that Toyota was this sort of the greatest of all time, sort of canon greatest of all time in, in that respect. And um, for me, that tide began to turn, I think, a little bit in, and I'm talking when I say began to turn, I'm talking about in our very niche, extremely sort of nerdy uh, yeah. uh, sort of section of, of the of the wrestling community. So we're talking, you know, you sort of Death Valley Driver, uh, pro wrestling only kind of kind of area, which is where I I ended up encountering a lot of these conversations. And I'd always just gone with Toyota, thinking that she was, you know, uh, just the hands down the best. 
And I think that what really persuaded me was some of the arguments about, well, I think what happened was I think my taste in wrestling changed a little bit, actually. Oh, yeah. Um, and, and when I got into Toyota, it was when I was quite young and it was off the back of me being, you know, the, the real early 2000s work rate. Um, um, obsession. Um, I was watching a lot of um, early Ring of Honor. I was very much, um, you know, about uh, work rate was the thing. That was what I judged people on. And Toyota, with that go-go style, is is just so um, arresting. And 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 she's bouncing around the ring, and the pacing of her matches is just like 100 miles an hour a lot of the time. Um, and I think what happened was I began to value. Um, and I hope maybe this is what happened with the rest of the critical sort of uh, take on her. I began to value actually some of the character work. And the, I'm not saying Toyota doesn't do this because she does, but some of the character work and some of the patience and some of the different elements um, that um, that the other three brought uh, um, and sort of value those a little bit more and, and notice some of the discrepancies um, in Toyota's work. For example, just, you know, sometimes not letting things breathe as much as she should in matches, in my opinion, sometimes transitioning too quickly into the next spot when actually it would have been nice to sort of milk uh, the, the, the atmosphere and the ambience of a moment. Sometimes going at such an, uh, not one paced emotionally because it's incredibly intense and visceral and it really does work, but it, it's very, you know, it, she starts at one emotional tenor and doesn't let up for the whole thing. So I've actually got to the point now where I've got two lists just to be a, just a contrary little dick. So um, my favorite out of the four, uh, in terms of the ones I enjoy watching the most, and this is so difficult, um, <laughs> is uh, Kong, Nakano, and Hokuto, and Toyota in that mm-hmm. order. And I'll tell you what, it is damn fucking close for the second two, uh, uh, Nakano and, uh, and Hokuto. However, in terms of if I put my, who do I think objectively on the in-ring metric is the best out of all of them? I think it goes Hokuto, Nakano, Kong, Toyota. Yeah, I, I don't disagree with that. I mean, the thing I always use to cite how good Hokuto was is there is a dvd in my home which is called something like the best of akira hokuto in 1993 volume oh, 7 like yeah. her 1993 years up there oh. with the very best years of any wrestler yeah. of all time i was just going to say that if, if you judge if, you know and again this comes into the big debate about how, how you know do you is just um, a preponderance of great five-star matches or whatever um how you judge a great wrestler is it um, a variation through career is it longevity is it um you know a mixture of all these different things or is it something else but i think if you look a lot of people like to analyze it you know take a wrestler at their peak how good were they at their peak and then compare them to anyone else that's in the conversation at their peak and yeah. i think that there are, i think don't think there's really that many wrestlers in, in in all of history that have had a better year than that to be honest so if you're judging it by that i mean hokuto is not just the, uh, the 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 greatest joshi wrestler of all time she's in the conversation for top two or three wrestlers of all time yeah absolutely like it depends what you want i think like yeah. one more thing to say about uh toyota is i think the more AJW you watch, the less she stands out, in a sense, because yep. her, her way of working is the closest to what was their house style, and you know, and which has a legacy which goes really back to the to the seventies. The sort of pace yeah, the matches yeah. were wrestled at, which was yeah. much higher than you would see in the men's promotions, and this really sets the part. Whereas the rest were, uh, I mean, certainly Kong and Nakano. I mean fond of a high spot though they were were more methodical um yeah. so but like this is of course not to say that it's like being the fourth best out of these four wrestlers like this means you're one of the greatest of all time well and we're not we're not throwing any shade here either because no, not at all. <laughs> you, you don't want you don't want someone uh, of Ajikong's style of her build of her skill set to be doing stuff like toyota 
That's that's no, not what we like, that's not what you want. And they also, you know, make brilliant foils uh, for each other as well. Um, and obviously, if you're listening to this, thinking, "God, they're down in Man- Manami Toyota," and you've never seen Manami Toyota matches, for God's sake, don't just take our word, you know, on this. Go and watch them because they're still fucking great. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. And AJW always, I mean, their business was built on the smaller, pretty girl against the big monster heel. Yeah. Like, um, and. RJ Kong and Bordicano sort of brought that up to another level in terms of like the the pure work rate, uh, you know, as as commonly understood. Great. Next up, we are going to go into our year in review. Um, just before we start the year in review segment, I just wanted to ask, um, just by way of a general introduction, not talking about wrestling, just in general, like the world and society and all, has 2022 been a worse year than 2021? I'm going to say yes, because there's been less COVID, but there's been more of everything else. <laughs> A lot is going yeah, on. Yeah. 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 It's it's been quite bad, hasn't it? It's been really it's been I try to maintain uh upbeat and you know, sometimes this is uh sometimes this is quite difficult. There's been times this year where I, particularly one of them was that day when it was like fucking 40 degrees and like you literally couldn't go out because you would end up um, end up like groundskeeper Willie in the furnace and the uh, Halloween episode of The Simpsons and just thinking to myself, fuck, is this my life from now on? Is this just like everything continually getting worse and like the planet heating up more and more and like there being more and more fascists out there? So like it's not been really great for that reason. Um, as far as the you know, what the wrestling world has been like this year. There's only one place to start, isn't there? And that would be with the spectacular defenestration of Vincent Kennedy McMahon as the CEO of the oh boy. Rest in Piss. Yeah. It's a funny... I was actually just thinking about this today because I'm completely tuned out um, of anything to do with WWE. So the only news that I get um, about this stuff is, is through podcasts, uh, wrestling news accounts, and, uh, you know, I was going to say the dirt sheets then, but there's just there's not really any of them around. Careful, anymore, you have Robert in your reply saying yeah, the dirt yeah, sheets. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, <laughs> true, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a funny one because even though... And, let, and let's, let's slice this, you know, the, the way it should be. There has never been... I don't think in in the history of business a a man who was shown to be more completely and utterly to be living in his own bizarre strange you know self-inflicted bubble I, I mean give Elon Musk a couple of weeks <laughs> yeah yeah no totally totally but you know what I mean it was um, you know and, and it really was apparent when there was that absolutely bizarre spectacle you know only in wrestling would you have only in this this scummy pathetic you know sort of fetid little industry would you have you know something like you know vince being basically uh, told you're gonna have to resign there are things coming out about you which are going to be real 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 bad and that you know in the in the modern climate will would be enough times tenfold for anyone to have to resign on the spot and of course what does he do he sends out his daughter because obviously his daughter's involved he sends out his daughter uh, to get the crowd to lead a chant of thank you vince you know, and then he comes out, comes out swinging as well with a kind of oblique, uh, you know. And by the way, I just want to point one thing out as well. If you were one of those people in that fucking audience, right, who chanted along, thank you, Vince, knowing full well. Well, I, I refuse to believe that anyone is that much of a fucking mark these days that they don't know all about this guy. They don't know about his history, that they don't know that, let alone from all the sexual abuse allegations, which is, I'm sure about to come streaming out. This man has been a crook, a liar, a conniver, an abuser, an exploiter. For many, many, even if it was just based on the way that he, as an employer, he has treated his staff <laughs> Absolutely. over decades, right? This man 
is a rotten in the words of my dear departed granddad, and this was the this was the biggest, nastiest term he would ever apply to anyone in his vocabulary. He's a bloody villain, is Vince McMahon. He, he he's a bloody is on screen villain. and off. And you've exactly nailed it. It's it was so seismic, not exaggerating when I say this is going to be the equivalent of you know, where were you when JFK was shot? Because I can remember where I was when I heard that Vincent Mann was getting shit canned. Because like, I was down in Goroming in Surrey the night before the UK Open Mahjong tournament. And I was just checking my phone. I was just like in the hotel bar. Vincent Mann to step down as CEO of WWE. And I was like, oh, fuck. Like, because my usual instinct would have been, well, I'm just going to like get some drinks in and spend the whole weekend on the sofa, pouring through the Discord, just like wallowing in it like a filthy hog. And I was like, oh, shit. Like, I, I need to play Mahjong for like, six hours tomorrow it's like the one time i can't just be on twitter the whole time so i was like this is the worst time for this to happen for me specifically and i think when you talk about all the stuff vince has done uh, daniel and the comparison that has been made by many people is that the thing he actually went for the allegations of appropriating company money to pay off women with a non-disclosure agreement. The the comparison people made was Al Capone getting sent to 11 years yeah. in Alcatraz for tax evasion because that I was say get him on. Yeah, exactly. That's what they could get him on. So they threw the book at him like, no, no, you're not going to fucking Alcatraz for fiddling your taxes unless you're Al Capone. And yeah, it was just like genuinely quite unthinkable that he was gone. And yet he is. And the show is rolling on. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I know I've spoken a lot about this. I'm so, sorry, David, I'm, I'm jumping in again here, but just right. I, I have this, this thing that I've just been, I think it's important to state as well. And this has been mentioned, I think, by a few a few people, but um, what I think is actually genuinely sort of quite disgusting, actually, amongst all this, is that we're in 2022 and we have a mainstream media, which isn't fit for purpose at just about every level. But when they've reported this story, it, which should, which if this was any other corporation of that size, the public company of that size, would be huge, major headline news. In an awful lot of instances, right, this merited a and finally on the news. And the footage that they chose was very instructive for this, right? It would be footage of, for example, Vince having his head shaved or Vince making someone kiss his ass or Vince fighting with Donald Trump. You know, because it's the crazy madcap world of wrestling. Hey, what's that all about? And in an environment when, by the way, in this country, especially but all over the wrestling world, but this country is particularly badly affected, the one that we're in at the minute. You know, you've had something like the, the speaking out uh, uh, stuff that has come out recently. Systematic, you know, widespread abuse of very often young women, especially, you know, the manner in which this has been approached by the mainstream media as almost just an extension of some some media institutions even questioning is this kayfabe or not well, um, yeah exactly like it's it, so frustrating because i know it's a fucking stupid pastime that we enjoy right i know it's daft i know it seems incomprehensible to a lot of people on the outside but you know i don't want to get too much of a high horse about this but this is real fucking people's lives you know and we're talking about a man that amongst other things right if he was actually properly fully up on court on everything that he has been accused of and that it actually includes being complicit in things like covering up murder <laughs> of someone like Nancy Argentino, you know, stuff like that. It is absolutely, this man is, is a horrific human being. And the way it was treated by the rest of the media, I thought was pretty repre- reprehensible, to be honest. It, it was, although I will say the flip side of that, I mean, firstly, people treating wrestling as this frippery, I guess. There was kind of, quite amusing but I, you, like you know shit's hit the fan when dave Meltzer gets invited on cnn that's how you know there's a yeah. big scandal <laughs> gone down in the rest in the wrestling world this was before vince um this was like a week before vince uh, ended up resigning was that um 
there was a segment on the allegation, I think it might have been CNN, and the reporter said, and Mr. McMahon is scheduled to make an appearance on SmackDown tonight. And the anchor just laughed to himself and said, of course he is. <laughs> like, but like, I think the, the thing about, like, yes, the, a lot of the, the mainstream media coverage of this was like pretty bad. But at the same time, I don't think this whole thing would have blown up the way it did had it just been the wrestling media doing it first because like the wrestling media oh, no, are true. pretty complicit and supine themselves but yeah. they don't really gain traction when like the wall street journal started well, yeah, I mean, digging into in, yeah. in the same way that all the goings on at fifa all that corruption like they basically got off with it scot-free until they started doing dodgy stuff on american soil and the fbi got involved yeah no, no, absolutely. And, and I mean, this is not a sentence that I, I come out with very fucking often, but credit to the Wall Street Journal. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. But, but you know what I mean? It was only through um, them reporting it from this, you know, fr- from a sort of finance business angle, you know, corporate angle. This, this never really came out, you know. And one final question, just before I will shut up after this, I promise. But I'm so an- fucking annoyed by all this shit. Like, <laughs> I mean, do, do, do either of you know? Because I've not been keeping up with this really. Because fucking hell, all I when I watch, I watch a lot of wrestling, right, right? But these days, all I fucking watch is old Memphis matches, fucking lucha brawls from fucking ten years ago, and fucking like you know beauty pair fucking tags, right? So, <laughs> what's happened since? Because it okay. seems to have gone quite quiet since. It has a bit. So, firstly, like Vince McMahon still like has his shareholding. So he's still a majority owner of the company. As far as I can see, he has no role in day-to-day decisions. Uh, Nick Khan is in charge of the whole business side. And Triple H, who uh, less than a year ago had left the company, basically being forced out, really, being made a scapegoat for NXT not beating AEW Dynamite in the ratings. Well, he's back and he's in charge of the wrestling side. And it's so, so, so funny. I actually wrote an article about this for our website, I maintain the double footstompercilly.com. That's I maintain the double footstompercilly.com called WWE in the search for the good Tory. And really what made me do it is because like Triple H being in charge and people liked NXT uh, at its peak. It was genuinely a really, really good show. And Triple H was the head honcho behind that. And people think, okay, he's being in charge now. Things will improve. And things do seem to have improved like you're allowed to say wrestling now Michael Cole is very clearly having the time of his life not having an insane old man shouting in his ear for the entire show are are the adults back in the room George well I mean look all I'm saying is we need a grown-up centrist leadership in the in WWE but it's really funny that Triple H has very very transparently decided to retcon the last year this is just IRL safe scumming like all the people like his favourites that Vince had deep pushed because he didn't like them they're back they're in prominent positions he's rehired people who got future endeavour I think you have Karrion Cross to go to Kai etc I think Dexter Loomis might have got future endeavour he's back and he's on the main roster so Gargano has been called up champ has been called up so like it's very very clear that trips is putting his um marker on things like in like a really obvious blatant and not especially subtle manner but it's actually very funny but like the point i was making with the article and um david you might be able to jump in on this because i know you tend to at least have a little gander at the pay-per-views is that the the reason i likened it to the search for the good toys because there's loads of liberal dullards who are forever trying to find like the the one tory who they can do business with it's always like you know uh, rory stewart i mentioned earlier fucking ken clark generally it's because they're a remainer and if someone is opposed to brexit therefore they can't possibly be a bad person no one who speaks german can be evil (laughs) yes exactly when a new flavor of the month's quote-unquote moderate sensible tory comes along these 
thick as pig shit Mark just lap it up because like oh well they're they're not perfect but they're a hell of a lot better than uh, than Boris Johnson uh, or yeah, or Liz Truss or whoever and every single time it bites them on the ass so I remain very skeptical about WWE becoming a a great product now that Triple H is in charge because your NXT had kind of lost a lot of his luster around about the time that he was forced out. It clearly has improved. That much is undeniable. Summer Sun was a really good show. I quite enjoyed the bits of war games that I saw, the uh, Survivor Series show. But like, I think the jury is still out on the WWE's creative direction. Fundamentally, it is still lowest common denominator swill for a mass audience. I'm not like sort of throwing any shade by saying mass audience, but like it's meant to appeal to a wide number of people, so it can't be too niche. So yeah. it's not going to be 2014 NXT suddenly. It's not going to be all about work rates and these really sort of intricate stories. It's still going to be more or less what it was. Like, I mean, have you have you seen much of Louis this year, David, or like particularly since since uh, Vince got got? Um. Well, yeah. So I think I've watched a couple of pay per views, and every so often, obviously, usually when the Europa League is on or something like that, it will finish, and some sort of WWE product will come on afterwards. It leaves me completely cold inside. Nothing there. I watched Start of Crown Jewel? Question mark. I didn't even make it to Braun Strowman versus Omos, to be honest. Uh, I <laughs> the very reason you watched it. Yeah. I, oh, Christ. Um, yeah, so it wasn't great. But I just want to kind of counteract what you were saying here. I just feel like it's important to give the other side of the coin on this debate. Because ultimately we are about the marketplace of ideas. We're, we're here to discuss this. We're not here. This isn't an echo chamber or anything like that. So you make very, very valid points about speaking out and the allegations about Vince. You know, he's a philanderer. He's a, an uncle bad touch. He drove the territories at a business. He has a massive scab that union busts anytime two people get in a room together. He is just a rampant capitalist. Those are all very good points, but I think you are forgetting there's one really important thing that, that kind of overshadows all this for me, is that to my dying day, and I hand on heart will always be this way, I have always been WCW. Boy, <laughs> right? Always. I watched WCW in Channel 5 until June 2001, and you'd be like, but David... Nitro ended on like, the first of it. Yes, it did. But Channel Five kept showing it for two months. Um, so I was watching the Invasion and like old Jeff Jarrett versus Kevin Nash WCW title <laughs> match. Right there I always preferred WCW to WWF. I still do. I mean, I'll, it's, it's I'm, a no, it. I'm a no, I'm a no limit soldier for life. So exactly, exactly. I'm entrenched, <laughs> firmly entrenched. <laughs> And my my beliefs, uh, my philosophy, the WCW was better. So when Vince McMahon was caught in compromise to a permanent end, <laughs> you, you're saying, has 2022 been a bad year? I saw Vince McMahon get fucking sent to the dustbin of history. And I've seen fucking Jackie Lowe and her fucking Vichy France government punted into obscurity as well. So I would argue it's been a fantastic fucking year. But shout out to a friend of the show, Mark Wallace, for all his faults. He is a big WWF fan. He loves WWF. He never watched WCW. And for weeks, every time in the Woody, I was insufferable because I was like, we won. We fucking won. <laughs> your shitty company with your mad fucking chairman are worth fuck all. 
where's Vince McMahon now? Where is he? He's crying in his house because he's got fuck all to do, even though he's got more money than any man can reasonably spend in his entire life. And he's bored that he's not, and he looks like a pile of shit. And I, I love it. I love it. He should be in The Hague. He should be in The Hague for getting rid of Nitro, for buying it and what he did to the invasion. It contravened the Geneva Convention, what he did with the WCW invasion. I'm not going to get into the details here, but he did. And he should be in The Hague. And then they can try and from all their stuff afterwards. But it, it, it was my VE day. I'm not going to lie. When Vince McMahon got fucking sent to the Shadow Realm. Good, <laughs> fuck him. I hope he never comes oh, yeah, back. I, I credit the high from this news with my, my strong result in said Mahjong tournament. <laughs> but <laughs> you know I, who was I, on next week on AEW afterwards? Do you know Do you know what, do you know what the last pay-per-view for AEW had? Sting versus Jeff Janet. Because WCW <laughs> always fucking wins, right? That's <laughs> why. Like socialism, it always wins. Vince McMahon, he's in the fucking mad diamond thing in Superman 2 that they all got fucking said to. Sting and Jeff Janet are fucking... Putting smiles in the faces and kabonging Darby Allen with guitars. What what a fucking timeline oh, we are in. I, I know. And uh, I think briefly, just to mention the other bit of Louis news, and this was partially occasioned by Vince uh, leaving, uh, NXT UK, uh, it is no more. Leave the memories alone. Well, yeah. That's I mean, I, um, I watched a grand total of, I think, two NXT UK shows ever. Mm-hmm. Um, yep, same. I, I, I think it's I probably the same too. <laughs> the original Blackpool one. Yep. And I think I watched the first ever NXT UK pay per view. Yeah, exactly the same as yeah. What? Yeah, takeover. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I think that's it. I might have watched the first episode of the TV. Um, I, I didn't even do that, Jesus. But I, I mean, don't even think I did. You since, know, since I, the, I mean, sorry, what a fucking pointless, avaristic fucking adventure that was. Like, was it worth it, Vince? Was it fucking worth it? Bre- breaking up what was... Well, okay, now we look back on it. Yes, it was actually a fucking scene of colour of, like... <laughs> <fucking> support of Intimate Man. Nonce cases and fucking God knows what else. But, you know, was it really genuinely worth it? Was it? I- I'll tell you what, right? So I, I don't care what anyone's... People got-, got all they want about how, oh, you know what? But yeah, they went there. They would have got, like, better pay. They would have had a cushy life. Easy, blah, blah, blah. I don't want to look down on them. At some point, right, you have to think about artistic integrity and authenticity and that kind of thing and there were definitely people there that must have been thinking there's got to be something more fulfilling than this yeah i mean i know people who in the wrestling industry who were like sad that their friends had like lost jobs which i yeah of course but like personally as someone who doesn't know any wrestlers my enjoyment of someone's work is not tied to how much money they get from it it's entirely independent of it i mean i saw three things total from nxt that like because like no no fucker was talking about it on twitter the three things i actually took notice of in nxt uk since that first takeover really were firstly they did dragonov versus valta i watched it it was very good although it wasn't as good as their matches in wxw i, uh, I actually disagree i actually think that was the best Volta. Oh, really dragonov wow match. yeah, okay, yeah. That's the uh, empty stadium one i think is actually the best it one was very very good like imagine that with the crowd jesus yeah so um, fair play for that second was Mika satamura winning the nxt uk women's title and that's how much i did not care about the existence of this show in that they put the belt on Mako fucking Satamura and I still didn't watch it and the third thing I saw which was just a video that was they posted on Twitter and a bunch of people I follow tweeting oh they finally broke up Mustache Mountain did they wow they look like shit and that was like the three things that I saw from NXT UK in the past five years what a fucking legacy unbelievable um, I you were talking about Mako Satamura I remember 
again, I mean, the curse of the Europa League, where um, it's on BT Sport as, as it's the Champions League, and after us, they'll usually put on some sort of WWE. So I saw a yeah. fair, I say I saw, I didn't watch a lot of NXT UK because it would just kind of be on after football, whatever. And I remember there was one time at the very, very fucking dregs, the, the end of NXT UK. I might have even been the last week, possibly a couple of weeks before it ended. Me and Mark Wallace are in the pub and it was some Champions League game on, came on afterwards. And they didn't change the channel afterwards. And NXT UK came on. And I was like, right, I said, I'm away. Finish our pint. And then they were like, oh, Mako Satamura is wrestling like after the break. I was like, Fuck it! If I'm using me and Mark Wallace just sitting in the in the pub watching Mako Satamura fucking <laughs> defend the NXT UK Championship, I was just like, what so bizarre. But um, I don't I don't mean to sound I am by no means on a high paying job. I think I earn more money in my call center job than they did in NXT UK, and it was a, it's a wrestling call center. Is what it was. It's <laughs> yes, basically what a- it was. They don't do a DBS check. You can take anybody on. If you don't swear on the air, you'll be absolutely fine. Yeah, absolutely. Like it's. Uh, I always love uh, wrestling being on like normie sports channels because one one of the things I always love while watching Match of the Day is like how very very clearly Gary Lineker hates having to plug Bellator. It's very funny. James Richardson does that as well when he has to plug like fucking SummerSlam or something. Oh, like he that. just despises it. It's so funny. Fun tangent just on this. I, I get asked to remember I've talked about my EFED before. Yes. I get asked to do my EFED again this year. To set like my popular demands. <laughs> oh no, generally they, they were like, oh, it was around about Clash of the Castle time, and I and I watched it in the pub. What what a fucking shit show that was! But we didn't like, even mention Clash of the Castle. Oh they did a fucking God. stadium show in Wales. I know it was so bad. And I annoyed but, I annoyed a lot of stupid Americans by posting a facetious tweet about it. It's probably yeah, the best thing I've done on social media this year. That that <laughs> literally happened, and I got a message from the guy who ran the feds of like. Do you fancy coming back? I was like, ah, uh, you know, it might be fun, you know, whatever. He says, oh, yeah, there's lots of, we're doing our, our draft in January and stuff like that. You know, there's lots of new Brit Rest talent coming around, like El Ligero. I was like, oh! <laughs> 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 it's like four or five guys that clearly, they, oh, they're all from like, the US and they clearly hadn't been keeping up that much of it. And these are the four or five guys that were now eligible. And I was like, mm-hmm. <laughs> no, I, I don't think I'll be using rising prominent talent like Marty Skrull anytime soon, no. Um, <laughs> Bubblegum, that was the other one. Is it? No, oh. I, the annoying thing is, is I fucking loved Bubblegum before everything happened. I would have definitely made him the champion of my Eve head of some shithead. Uh, yeah, a lot of it's ruined and with and with good cause. Moving on to, uh, well, we'll talk about Per a little uh, bit before well, we... Oh, sorry, I God. think, I was going to say, I can we do our annual game with Daniel? Um, oh, I um, can cover that yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Section. The annual game with Daniel. Which one is this? So, Daniel, I have looked up New Japan Pro Wrestling on Wikipedia. Current <laughs> championships. Yeah. I mean, uh, I, I'm ready to play, definitely, because I have to say that I don't think it's just me this year. I mean, this is... No, I think, I think I might struggle at this as well. Yeah, I mean, oh, no, I, 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 I didn't know any until am I... Am I right? And I think I said the same thing last year, but am I right in saying that this year it's not just me and my little bubble, but in terms of where New Japan was in terms of its status amongst fans, am I right in now thinking that this has to be the year in which there's been the least buzz? For I, I think so, but it still does have its 
core audience oh, because like i mean yeah. a, a lot of the reason it appears to have no buzz is because they just don't let you post gifts of it on twitter uh, but true. like st- business is still going well in uh, japan and uh, certainly like the pandemic being less of a thing has helped that but a friend of the show at monkey buckles from uh, must see matches podcast which sarah has guested on very bit very good podcast by the way if you want to mm-hmm, check it out mm-hmm. he went to uh, royal quest 2 in london and he was like this product it, it's just not for me now like and this is my final acceptance of it he said however yeah. the people who are here are really enjoying themselves yeah, so like clearly yeah. it's still got this devoted audience but certainly down from its peak in terms of my knowledge of new japan yeah david do the quiz because like i want to we can probably like have me and dan compete against each other this year yeah I think <laughs> this, this yeah. can be our new japan segment by the way because i've got absolutely nothing written down for this um, I, I i haven't well, i don't think i've watched a single new japan match this year i think i uh, watched I one watched match maybe I watched yeah. Yana versus Suzuki in the dog cage match. That's the only <laughs> one match I've watched this year. Amazing. <laughs> I don't even think I watched Wrestle Kingdom. <laughs> no, I'm trying to remember if I watched... Did I watch any of the matches for Wrestle Kingdom? I, I honestly don't know. I honestly we can't the, tell you. We watched the Rambo for the January 4th episode. We did. We did. Um, that, that was, already, that we was it. The Rambo, yeah. yeah, and you watched the dog cage match. Anyway, go on, David, lay, yeah. lay it on us. Who is the current IWGP World Heavyweight Champion? I'll let Dan answer first, and then I'll, I'll, I'll give my answer. I think it is... Gato's still booking, right? <laughs> yeah, yes. As far as I know, yes. Okay, I'm going to go with a real risky option here and say that it's Okada. Yeah, it is Okada, isn't it? Uh, no, it's Jay White. Oh, fuck you. Oh, God. Zero for one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. You know, he did to the Pure Free podcast, the, how many... the definitive source of information about Japanese yeah. wrestling. Yeah. I, mean, I mean, to be fair, to be fair, we, we mostly market ourselves um, as a, a as a wrestling history yeah, podcast. Yeah, 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 we are. So yeah. we are absolved from clearly knowing. Yeah, because yeah, yeah, Jay White won the belt like like not too long before Forbidden Door. And he turned up as the champion. They like did the title switch. Like yeah, David, yeah. next question, number two. Who is the United States heavyweight champion? The IWGP US. Champion. Oh, I, I actually do know this one. <laughs> uh... <laughs> I'm gonna make a really stupid guess because I think it would be really funny if it was true. Mm-hmm. Chase Owens. <laughs> it's uh, it's Will Ospreay, isn't it? It is indeed Will Ospreay. Boom. <laughs> Who won the G1 Climax? Oh, fuck. Um, <laughs> wait, wait. So that, that would have... Oh, wait. No, because they wouldn't have had the Dome Show match with they yet. No. Um, uh, so who, who won the G1? Oh, shit. <laughs> um, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. But I'll, I'll, let, I'll let Dan go first. I think I know. So... By the way, it just depends on how long Jay White's been the champ for. So I'm going to say Okada again. Yeah, I'm going to say Okada again. Is it Okada? You are indeed correct. Yes. Okada won the G1. Okay, Two out of three, wasn't it? Who won the best of the Super Juniors? Oh, fucking hell. Um, right. Okay. I, I, I literally I, just pick a junior. I have absolutely no idea, but I've got an educated guess, which I don't think is going to be right. But uh, we'll see. Um, I genuinely don't know what their juniors roster is anymore. Again, just pick a junior out of your head. What? How? In a way, that's not my answer. By the way, <laughs> <laughs> the funky weapon. The funky weapon is, is Taguchi. Your answer. 
right oh, I can't think of I'm, I, I'm going to guess because I know he's had quite a year he did that death match with Jun Kasai uh, was it El Desperado oh, <laughs> it, was, yeah. it was not it was Hiromo Takahashi fuck damn it that's oh. my other guess wait hang on hang on Takahashi's still not a heavyweight yep <laughs> what the fuck lads so who is the current IWGP junior heavyweight champion oh god um <laughs> Spunk over the junior title. Yeah, I know we did. Kashida's back as well. No one cares. <laughs> oh, is he back now? All right. Yeah, yeah, he is. Um, ah, this is quality content. We should just do this every year. This should just, even when the podcast dies, we just keep yeah, doing this yeah. every year. Um, um, let me think of who else it could be. Again, uh, just pick a junior. El Fantasmo. Ooh, that's not a bad shout. I'm going to go with... Um, fuck, is that Desperado? It's Taiji Ishimori. Oh, <laughs> the bone soldier. The bone soldier. Right, so yeah. I'm on two out of five and Dan's on one out of five. Yes. Now, Dan, Christ. I'm going to let you know because I think you'll know this one. No, but don't say that because now I won't. No, no, I think no, I think George will know this one, but I don't think oh. you will. Okay. Daniel, who is the who is the current at this date never open weight championship? <laughs> I absolutely oh, do not know this. Um, oh wait, maybe maybe I do. I know who it was. Um, <laughs> what a right. stupid fucking belt that is. Um, uh, who's the current? No, uh, 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 fucking um, Ishii. No, it's not. I don't think it's. This hinges entirely on whether they've stripped the man I'm thinking of of the title I, because Carl Anderson was the champion, and then he signed to Lului while a current title holder at New Japan just let him. However, I think he has dropped it too. I am going to say uh, Tamatonga. Uh, completely wrong. It is indeed Carl Anderson. Damn it! <laughs> They've not taken the belt oh off. Oh my! Yet. I'm not going to ask you who the strong openweight champion is because I have literally never heard of him. Oh, I, I, fuck! Fuck! Oh, no, wait, don't wait, ask me. Um, I know this. No. What, what um, is it that lad, um, that young American lad that was a young lion for a bit? Um, what's his fucking name? Uh, <laughs> I wanted to say Carl Winders then. But, <laughs> um, Fresh off the set of Predator. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, I, can't, I can picture him. He, he did some stuff in I Bloods. genuinely think you'll never heard of this person. Oh, okay, right. Oh, um, well, okay, well, that doesn't... Um, no, I, that, I don't know. With, um, Okay, because um, the inaugural champion was Filthy Tom Lawler, mm-hmm. um, but he's dropped it to yeah. uh, Clark Connors. No. Have you ever heard of Fred Rosser? I don't know. I have. I have. Do you know who he used to be, David? Who? Darren Young. <laughs> Mr. No Days Off. What? <laughs> Shut, what? Up. Shut up. Shut <laughs> up. No <laughs> oh, my fucking God. It's real. <laughs> Darren Young. Darren fair play to him, like oh, good, 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 good lads, yeah. Oh me, Darren Young. Holy shit, it's a, it's a, it's through the fucking uh, looking glass, isn't it? You might get this one, Daniel, if you have watched <laughs> there's more. Don't AEW, lie, you won't get it. If you watched AEW in the last like four months, <laughs> the IWGP tag champions. I, oh, um Right, so I, I know this, yeah. I, I watched Full Gear the other day. Mm-hmm. Can't remember much about it. Literally watched it the other day. Can't remember if these guys were on it or not. So they're the IWGP tag... They're the tag champs, not the junior tag champs. Tag champs. Yeah. yeah. Oh, is the Gorillas of Destiny. 
No, a it's solid a, shout. 50 50, if I'm honest, as to when it's uh, It's uh, FTR, isn't it? It is indeed, yes. Yeah. Oh, is it? Right. Oh, of course. Yeah, because, yeah, right. Fuck. Yeah, yeah. And then I've got two more for you. Who are the current never open weight six man tag team? <laughs> oh, come on. <laughs> I would rather like I think I, I genuinely think I would do a better job of explaining Spinoza's ethics than guessing this. Literally, you reach into the tumble and pick out three names. Right. Okay. Okay. I'm going to go with. Um, can I have a Can I have a third of a point if one of them is right? Yes. Good. Okay. Um, purely at random, Jeff Cobb, the Great Okan, and Avan Hanare. Amazingly zero points. <laughs> I'm 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 gonna go for um, Ed Strangler Lewis, uh, Horst Hoffman, and one of the Ding Dongs. Close. <laughs> it is in fact the House of Torture, Evil Show, and Yujiro Takahashi. <laughs> the House of Torture. Evil is Takahashi's in still picking up a payday. Jobs to the boys, Daniel. And finally, who is the king of pro wrestling 2022? Oh God! Amazingly, Evil is on his sixth reign as the, new, <laughs> as the six man tag champions. Christ! Former world champion Evil, by the way. Yeah. Doing doing that big show, uh, late nineteen, early two thousands vibe. <laughs> uh, I don't know. It's Shingo uh, Katagi. Okay, well, I was I was going to say Toriano, so you didn't even fucking yeah, ask. Basically, me. the same guy. <laughs> I also okay. didn't realise oh well the last one for you George who is the IWGP Women's Champion oh I I, I do know this this is uh, Kairi Hojo it is indeed Kairi Hojo yeah okay. congratulations by the way I, I just feel it's important to uh, note at this stage and I, I did tweet about this at the time the fact that New Japan has established an IWGP Women's Championship does not make Alan Cheapshot correct in his yearning for a, a women's division in New Japan, because it isn't a women's division in New Japan. It's a stardom belt sanctioned by the International Wrestling Grand Prix of that ilk that is to be defended on New Japan and sometimes stardom shows. So this may seem like splitting hairs, but it's very important that Alan Cheapshot cannot be seen to be correct. So I just want to put that out there. <laughs> I agree. I it's it's really it's really funny with the whole Alan Cheapshot stuff because I only ever knew him as like a poster on Pro Wrestling Only. And as like as a podcast host with notorious heelish ultra villain fascist weirdo Parv. Oh um, God! But this was before all the Parv stuff came out. And I always thought Alan seemed like really sort of personable and, and quite nice on, on no, those. No, things. No, no, no. But then yeah, everyone fucking hates him. No, 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 like... Apparently, like he is a nice guy. I've never yeah. met him. But like he's meant to be personable in real life. He's just really fucking annoying about this New Japan Women's Division thing. That's that. No, no, just, I have seen all that I mean, stuff. The, the, yeah, thing with this, yeah. the thing with this argument is that it's never been easier no. to what to watch Joshi. Oh like, no, I mean I just, don't agree with him yeah, on his you, argument you, you at could all. You just do that, and like whenever I hear this argument, a lot of it sounds like I would rather that women's wrestling be a completely subsidiary bit yeah, of yeah. a much larger show, just so it is convenient for me personally to watch it. Yeah, totally. And to actually yeah. go out and support the women's wrestling. I mean, that kind of leads us on very nicely to um, the state of the Joshi scene currently. It's been quite an interesting year. There's been some uh, big departures and big moves. Stardom's business is going really well. They've they've established this new title, as we've just said. They did a, a joint show with New Japan featuring some actual intergender matches with some really strange tag teams. Uh, Utami Hayashi and Tanahashi uh, were a team. Julia and Zack Sabre Jr. were a team, presumably just so they could call it Zack Sabre Jr., which, to be fair, is a tremendous pun. That is um, pretty good, yeah. Micah and Hiroki Goto, for some reason. 
Um, and uh, like this will be a collector's item. So you know, if you can find one on eBay, join Starlight Kid and El Desperado merch. <laughs> like uh, quite a time, and they've been actually outdrawing New Japan in some arenas that they both run. Tokyo Joshi, I've that's the company i've watched the most of this year they've i've done, seen some really good stuff from them this year yeah they've done really well um i wrote an article about them for our friend luke as a uh news ethical flip key f-l-u-p-k-e oh yeah i've still not read that issue yet actually i'd it's very good and i'm not saying that because i wrote it um no no, no I, I always catch I up with um, luke's stuff like so. months after it's it's been done I I, I I go through it all in one big go and my argument was that the way that tokyo joshi is currently telling his stories is like the king's road and this kind of seems maybe a ridiculous comparison to make, but I mean, just read the article. I, I'm very proud of it. That like something which seems so counterintuitive, I think actually makes a lot of sense. And I mean, I love the King's Road. So I've been enjoying Tokyo Joshi quite a lot. There have also been there's been more freelancing in the Joshi scene recently, based around sort of two main units, if you like. So, and we mentioned this on our January the Fourth special, actually. Pro Wrestling Prominence, which is a deathmatch unit of offshoots from uh, Ice Ribbon, whose roster is now sadly quite depleted because of that but they've been uh, turning with all sorts of fucking places um including stardom uh, there has also been a group called nomads and this is a series of shows which are all freelancers and the fact you're actually able to people a joshi show purely with freelance mm-hmm. talent in this day is, is i think something that is quite revolutionary and also uh speaking of ice Mayuki, he has gone freelance as well there's been uh, joshi talent competing abroad uh, got I mean, your, the chigusa and the marvelous crew doing stuff yeah, yeah absolutely i got to meet chicks and the guy this year it was uh hey, so did i yeah i know it was awesome yeah well, fuck we didn't even mention that like so this is the biggest thing that happened in 2022 fuck Vin- vince mcmahon and like putin and all that this is this is the big news we actually met up in person for the first time ever the three of us yeah like i mean i mean we should years. point out for people that because obviously people that listen to this are probably aware that we are all at this stage close friends but we for whatever bizarre reason the, the planets had never aligned to put yeah. all three of us in the same place at the same time. Some combination of two of us at various points. Yes, I mean, I, I stay with George time, every Which is year. mental. Yeah. I stay with George every year for Damnation until yeah, this year. Oh, I go for football. And Daniel obviously lived in Glasgow for several years and has yeah, lots so of I pop up there and time he comes up. Anytime I was in Newcastle, I go see him yeah, as well. You both and visit me in Newcastle, yeah. I've been to Leeds to see, to see George, but just exactly. never... All at the same time. Yeah, and we and we watched some wrestling, and it was it was a really nice time. Hyper Miss Al came over. She kitted out a Boris bike with her sort of you know all the lights and stuff that she uh, she has on it. We saw Miyu Yamashita versus Millie McKenzie. That was really nice. Rin Kadakura from Marvelous came over as a replacement for Takumi Aroha who was injured and she actually missed her honeymoon to make this date. Like she delayed her honeymoon because she had got married like the weekend before to incidentally a son of legendary shaggers, Akira Hokuto and Kensuke Sasaki. And she was like, well, I'm going to England to wrestle. The the, the funny thing actually about the Chickas and the Gaia thing was so the, like... The rumour is, is that they kept everybody in the travel lodge <laughs> up that night. <laughs> violent shaggers. I was going to say, I wonder if the son is also a genetic jackhammer. Oh, you have to think so, uh, wouldn't you? But like, because uh, Chick's been over a couple of times actually to the UK. And the first time, she was kind of not really at the signings. She was like letting her trainees sort of be the centre of attention. But in the evening, I think someone had gone backstage and said, 
look, there's a lot of people here who are clearly not going to leave until you come out and sign something. And they'd actually sold out of eight by tens. So she said, OK, I'll, I'll charge you this much for a photo and this much to sign something. But I didn't have anything to sign. So the only thing I had with me, and this is going to make me sound like an absolute ponce, by the way, I tore out the back page of the copy of Beautiful World, Where Are You? by Sally Rooney that I have with me. And I got Chigas and the guy to sign that for Sarah because Sarah was laid up with the Rona at the time, which she was gutted about. And so I was like, well, I'll bring her back Chigas and the guy's actual signature. And then, and then I was like, right, I got to catch my train, which I made by by seconds. But I then realised, oh shit, that's not even my copy of Beautiful World Where I by Sally Mooney. I bought it off my mum. <laughs> Sorry, I have to face your book, but it was for a good reason. So that was the big thing that happened this year. And the only thing really about the Puro scene I have left to say is where pro wrestling Noah is concerned i've just gotten written here i would like them better if their shows weren't all five and a half hours long and their english language commentators weren't constantly shitting themselves in public on twitter over fuck all so that's what i've got to say about uh, about pro wrestling Noah. it's, it's oh, funny how these things change isn't it because it's like i don't know i, I remember a year or two ago being really excited for, for noah because i think it was under new, new ownership or certainly under new, new leadership in a sense um, i think you made a statement like every two years yeah. for the yeah. last six years we've been doing this podcast yeah. every every so you know how it's like star trek where like the odd films yeah. are good and even ones are bad so every every even year you're like you know last year noah was in a real resurgence you're under yeah. new ownership and yeah. yeah and then the next year i've just i've not i've not watched fucking any noah this year I've watched a bit. I mean, they hired Michael Elgin and then he got deported from Japan for stealing protein powder and he tried to make yeah. out like he wasn't deported, but he definitely yeah. was. Um, I mean, so there's a lot of things to dislike about Noah at the moment. Yeah, <laughs> I totally. I mean, like I said before, I wasn't joking when I said my diet of wrestling these days is basically old school territory stuff from the late 60s through the like, through, through the late 80s um, and old Japanese and Mexican stuff from the same period. <laughs> like, that's pretty much all I watch Yeah, now. and the reason I always bring up Noah and being kind of disappointed in it is because like I'm such a Noah fan, like classic Noah. Yeah, know? yeah, well, we, God, we all are. Come on. It's, it's a company I, I would like to see oh, well, but they I would love it to can't, see get out, well. can't get out their own way. And speaking of not being able to get out their own, own way, we're going to go back across the Pacific and we are going to talk about Mr. Tony Khan's All Elite Wrestling, my friends. Oh, so, boy. Uh, Strap uh, yourselves in, folks. Here I we mean, fucking go. Look, we, we can talk about the shows, all right? And they've actually done some good shows this year. I've enjoyed the hey, paper. Sting's there. I like Sting. Sting. Sting's there. He's binned himself through some tables. All, all um, these people say, oh, AW's in chaos. Oh, backstage. Is Sting still there? Yes, right. He's <laughs> fine then, right? It doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But, like, the, I think the show's have kind of been beside the point this year and they're still like of a good quality but the repeated backstage turmoil which came to a head with the extraordinary diatribe by walking dead enthusiast phil brooks at the uh, the conference after all out and now the thing is Sarah and I watched All Out on the Monday evening. We didn't watch it live because we live in the UK. We've got to go for work in the morning. And so I had, I'd avoided spoilers all day. I'd stayed off Twitter and maybe not coincidentally was very productive at work that day. <laughs> and then we watched the show. And then Sarah was like, right, let me tell you about everything that happened afterwards. I was like, oh, no, is it bad? And she was like, yes, it is. But it, it, it is bad. But like as someone who loves drama, I, I've been riveted by it more so than any of the storylines AEW have run this uh, this year. I, I think the fact that Ace Steel, who had hitherto not had really any of a reputation of being a, a problem backstage in the space of a week, he zombie flesh eater Ace Steel. <laughs> yes, in the space of a week, he came on the TV, cut one of the greatest promos in the history of the promotion, getting CM Punk fired up for his title match against 
John Moxley, then got embroiled in a backstage brawl where he bit a man and got fired. And then a picture of CM Punk just after having won the belt for the first time came out. Ace Steel is next to him and Google the photo of CM Punk and Ace Steel if you can, because Ace Steel in that photo never has a human being looked more like a dog than he does at that moment. And, 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 and I know people who are into like puppy played sex things and like I guarantee that none of them have ever looked as canine as that. <laughs> the dog faced gremlin is still <laughs> He's a supine canine as well is the worst thing about it but the thing is about all this bloody business is that it says a lot about i think yeah i know the elite have their fans but like the disdain in which they are held by some sections of the fan base is that i know multiple people who would (laughs) yes i know multiple people who would have cm punk back over them even now we know about like how he had alienated not just the elite but other members of the locker room like are we talking about as 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 in terms of the value that they bring in terms of like in-ring work yeah 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 yeah, absolutely because like i i don't even like the elite's wrestling um, no, I don't. Like, not alone their personalities. Like, when they announced a best of seven series between the elite, oh my god, Death Triangle, and like the Lucha Bros, like the Young Buck just constantly bring out the worst in those guys. Like, Pack is reliably good in these matches, but like, oh fuck, I didn't even like the first one of these matches. They're, do, they're doing six waste, more though. of them. Oh my, and just these annoying I, fucking dickheads just being back on TV. You know, get rid. Sorry, I was gonna say I had a bizarre moment. I think I told you a bit about it. We're obviously the World Cup's on at the moment. In the tropical paradise of Qatar, where no one has died as a migrant worker. Richard Keys has told us this, we know this, right? <laughs> um, but um, the game's gone, Andy. I know, I know. The mouth of um, Sal on Richard Keys. <laughs> yeah, but I was in the pub watching, oh, it was a Belgium, probably Belgium, it was some shit ass team, it was probably <laughs> Belgium. I say that as someone who was supporting Belgium at this World Cup, but good lord, it was Lukaku. It sounds like a rimmer joke from Red Dwarf. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They, they, they were cack. They were really bad. And so the guy across from me, he he saw me, I was wearing a, funnily enough, a pro wrestling Noah hoodie. And um, <laughs> the guy in the pub, and he's like, is that a wrestling hoodie? And I was like, oh no. He's like, okay, a VL or something. And I was like, aye, aye. He says, is it ROH? I'm like, where is this going? What? Is, what? Is it ROH? And I was like, fair play for knowing who the fuck ROH is, right? But as well as I was like, no, it's pro wrestling, Noah. And Daniel, he said to me, no word to lie, Noah. What does that stand for? (laughs) You try explaining the significance of Misawa and the Ark to some some joiner in the pub in Blanter. Right. It doesn't work, right? So I tried my best and it happened. He's like, all right. I like the wrestling. He says, do you watch watch AEW, son? I was like, aye. I, uh, yeah, yeah, I watched you from time to time in the country. I said, see that young bucks in the death triangle? Uh, Incredible. <laughs> Every match. I love it. Best of seven. Two, one, and new. <laughs> and he was like, he absolutely loved the young bucks we, in the we, death triangle. He's like, this is the greatest wrestling match. Like, wrestling were you too, talking like, to Winston from Still Game? Honestly, it's literally a Still Game. They started talking about, like, fucking... I don't know, fucking uh, when Cesaro and Justin Gabriel just used to have great matches and superstars all the time. Yeah, like just like some like some proper like I was like look I, I was just trying to watch a bit Belgium shit the bed and go out of the World Cup. But he was going on about how much he loved AEW and he loved Kenny Omega on the box and the Death Triangle. He thought it was like the greatest series of matches. 
and like the history the, of wrestling. It was wild. There's an old fellow in my, so my granddad lives in like sort of I guess what what they call assisted living. So there's he's like independent, but like there's carers on site and that for like some of the old folks because some of them are a bit infirm, you know. Anyway, there's an old fella in in his block of apartments who watches the ITV4 broadcast of Dynamite at like 10 p.m. every week, which is pretty like staying up late for an old, for an old fella. And oh, like pretty cool though. I, yeah. Oh yeah, it's great. But, like, I just want to speak to this man as like who are his favorites because i genuinely what well, i want to know what he thinks of qt marshall and the freak beast nick komarota yeah. <laughs> i am does, does, does he like being scissored daddy <laughs> um, oh, okay that like shout out to the fact that in the year of our lord 2022 the one billy gun is in genuinely the most consistently entertaining act in to, western to, professional to, wrestling. to be fair to them to be fair to them one of the highlights to be honest and oh yeah the thing is right for me with AEW, though, is I'm when it first started out, despite the fact that it's well known to anyone that ever speaks to me about wrestling, has ever heard this podcast, that I absolutely fucking despise the Young Bucks and Kenny Omega. I'm talking about in-ring here in particular. It's not my kind of wrestling. I don't find it entertaining. I find it goofy. I find it stupid. Not in a kind of Jim Cornette way, because I, I like a lot of goofy and stupid shit in wrestling. Again, as people that listen to this podcast will well know. But there's just something about it in particular which t- turns me off. I don't it, find it exciting. It, it, feel, I find it, it feels contrived. Like, it feels they contrived. feel like they're playing at being healed. It feels contrived. It feels boring. Um, it feels mannered, okay, in a, way, in a yes. way that I just don't like in my wrestling, right? Now, whatever. Despite all that, I think there was very few people, even people like me, that didn't invest a huge amount of goodwill in this company. And to be honest, despite all the ups and downs, you know, I was very much invested in it. And I I vividly remember I'd just been up to Scotland to see um, I saw David Wilders up there and a few other people. Uh, This was um, not, not this year. This was last year. And I was coming back on the way back down and I downloaded the episode of Rampage, I think it was, where CM Punk came back. And this was just before uh, uh, Danielson came in as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I've not been as excited about weekly TV episodic wrestling in America. Oh, that that for whole that decades. whole thing was incredible. Like the CM Punk turn, electric for decades. Now this might be a controversial thing for, for me to say. I don't know if I'm entirely correct here. But when I think, I actually think we're at the point now where. I mean, I don't really watch Dynamite every week anymore, like I once did. I, I watch the big shows. If I hear that there's something interesting going on, I might watch it. But I actually think we're getting towards the point now where <laughs> CM Punk reminds me, his criticisms, he reminds me of a guy I used to work with who was a proper cunt about the way... About, <laughs> no, 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 he was, he was actually an all right guy. But when he went, when he ended up chewing people out at work, he, yeah, was, he, yeah. he was a real cunt about it, right? He was really unprofessional about it. He was overly aggressive. He came across as just sort of quite self-centered about it. But you know what? The annoying thing about him was, was at the end of the day, all of his criticisms were correct. Yeah. Um, and, and, and he was right. And it was the way he went about it that was annoying. And I'm, I'm getting towards the point now where I'm thinking that, you know what? In better hands, in a company in which he didn't have VPs, whatever they're called, that were people like the Young Bucks, who have an attitude to wrestling like them, who have a kind of um, all over the place. Um, they don't prioritise consistency of storytelling. They don't uh, prioritise consistency of character development. They do frust- really frustrating things that grasp towards something great, then forget about them the next week, and then just fuck off somewhere else entirely with the story. I actually think that I'm at the point now where they're losing quite a lot of my goodwill, because I think they are squandering and wasting talent um, and I'll give you a perfect example of this. When the Blackpool Combat Club came about, yep. you could not, well, with the possible mind, I like Wheelie Uta, but you, if you traded out Wheelie Uta from Daniel Garcia, that for me would have been the absolute perfect, perfect stable. 
okay? If you said we're going to put them with William Regal, okay? And their gimmick is they are called Blackpool Combat Club. That's what they are. They are a dojo of bone-breaking, badass, post-Fujiwara fucking psychopaths, yeah, that want to fight. They're prize fighters. That was how it was sold to us, okay? We had one vignette in the gym like that with an incredible Regal promo, beautiful camera work that sold them like that. And then, fuck all. Nothing. They may as well have not even bothered being together. They may as well have not bothered being a stable. Did they ever interact with each other in any meaningful way? Not not, not particular. Was there any more skits like that? Well, they might have been on YouTube or fucking Twitter, but that's not how I consume my promos all the time. I, as a week-to-week Dynamite viewer, didn't see any personal connection between them. I didn't see any unity of purpose of them coming out and doing promos together and putting forward the case for who they were. And that could have been one of the most incredible stables that you've ever assembled in terms of talent, in terms of the matches they could have had, in terms of the story you could have told, that the people in there in terms of what they're capable of, the promos, for God's sake, they could have done. Even someone like Danielson at this point in his career, fucking good promo. It's- Do you know what I mean? I was just so disappointed with stuff like that. But that happens all the time. It's because, like, I think part of it is that they kept having to put the belt back on John Moxley because CM Punk get, getting injured. And you so know, he you was can, off doing but, his own thing. But you can tell a story like that as well. I mean, fucking hell. Fucking Evolve managed to do this with Catchpoint years ago. It's not hard. Yeah, I mean, that, that's the big analogue. And I also think, actually, as entertaining as Regal was on commentary, I think being, like, too panting oh. villain with some of the stuff, yeah. like, is, no. is not really the correct vibe. Like, as, very, as, very, as very entertaining. Was. Very entertaining, but completely overdone. And and like you said, just eliminated a lot of what should have been the menace there. And, you know, it's it's things, you know, like another thing, for example, the start of that Jungle Boy and Christian feud, right, was red hot, yeah. right? In, in my opinion, not everyone agree, but I thought it was red hot. It was good old school fashion territories booking, blowjob baby face kind of guy up against a nefarious old Mr. Wrestling 2 style sort of yeah. thing going on there. But I really like that. And then I haven't been watching Dynamite for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks. And what do I find? They've eked this feud out until Full Gear, which I've just watched. Perfectly passable cage match. Not so bad. But, you know, there's no thinking that that went on for far too long. There's no one there saying this is too much. This needs to stop. We need to peak here. We need to cut it off. We need to move on to other things. And it's because, unfortunately, I think Punk was right. Basically, the, the lunatics are running the asylum, and that can work. That can work out really well if it's a genuine. I mean, something like PWG, not an organisation that I cared for a huge amount in ring, but there was a sense of sort of palpable chaos about that. That this mm. is literally, you know, we are running that. We will have a million fucking high spots in this match because we're the wrestlers, we own the company. That's what we want, right? And that was had a palpable insanity. That's fine, whatever. AEW is just a mishmash of stuff at the minute, and it just it increasingly I, just leaves me cold. And I, I think TK does have to carry a lot yeah. of cannon for this because, I mean, firstly, the, the book stops with him, pun not intended. Yeah. And secondly, his general approach to talent is like a kid playing football manager. Like, oh, such and such is available, I'll slap them up. Someone, such and such is available, I'll slap them up. And it's really funny to um, see, like, at the start of the summer transfer window in the Premier League, when Fulham hadn't really brought that many people in and the fan base was getting a little bit restive about it. And I thought, it's really ironic to see Tony Khan get criticised for a lack yeah. of bringing people in. You know what I mean? But yeah, I want AEW to be good, but like, I don't like being in a world where WWE is improving and AEW is, is regressing. Because at the start of the year, 
it seemed like the other way around. But uh, but anyway, hopefully 2023 will be better. Now, time for the uh, festive content that you've come to expect from this podcast. Now, you might think, oh, we've drained the ditch dry in terms of festive content. We've done things like Christmas crackers, Christmas carol, like who would you have round for dinner? Actually, that's one question we didn't answer in the Q&A section. Our friend Tugboat Thompson asked, which wrestlers would you have round for Christmas dinner? Who would they be and what party games would they be? And weirdly, considering how very, very specific a question that is, we have actually covered that on a previous one. But in terms of festive content, I thought I would go down a a different path for this year. And that path is, we, we talk about the secular aspects of, of Christmas quite a lot, uh, the goodwill to all men and uh, and the presents under the tree. And we do have to remember in these increasingly secular times that Christmas is also a religious festival. And so I want to talk about a particularly significant event for the persecuted Christian community of the United Kingdom in 2022, uh, to do in fact with not just a mere prelate or archbishop, but the very head of the Church of England themselves the defender is, of the protestant faith exactly that is to say the queen's fucking dead <laughs> oh, <boy. laughs> okay in all seriousness what we're not going to do is just dance on the queen's ground i mean Dan- daniel might but like i i think as a way of apology we don't really put out that many episodes this year but when we have done i think one of the episodes i'm proudest of is the one where it was the first one we did about the Soviet Union after the war in Ukraine started. And I'm, I'm genuinely proud of the fact that we made a genuine attempt at a good faith analysis of the historical causes of the conflict, our intellectual justification for carrying on with the series and the collapse of the Soviet Union, how it feeds into the decayed fascist state apparatus of the Russian Federation. So I think we should try and do a similar thing to this. So like if you've been living under a rock, Queen Elizabeth II passed away at the age of 96. Now, this in itself is not a particularly significant event in and of itself. 96-year-old women die all the time. (laughs) She was old as fuck. She was clearly not in a great place physically. Her big racist husband had just died the year before. That's going to leave a hole, obviously. So the death itself is something we had anticipated, really, for years and being a number of false alarms and what have you. However, the extremely normal way in which the country reacted to it, everyone sort of knew the contingency plan. And we knew it was going right because on the BBC News channel, Hugh Edwards is, is dressed like he's going to a funeral. Everyone's doing the voices that they did over the age of 1999. So Nicholas like... Witchell has crawled forth from his vat of bleach and has been <laughs> yeah. uh, positioned once more in a yeah, whiff of I, sulfur on the seat. Absolutely. But the point I was making about Prince Philip is like, okay, there was a lot of extremely weird behaviour and enforced grief and enforced mourning. But that was as nothing compared to what we were forced to undergo as a nation. Because quite honestly, right, I don't think many people were actually mourning. Right. I'm not going to do a glib comparison to North Korea because that's really overplayed and kind of not true. But there is something of it in the sense that you, you have to be seen to mourn. I don't think it was individuals really going mad. I think it was fucking corporations and brands. That was the absolutely mad thing. Like the craziest one was Morrison's. <laughs> as a mark of respect to the Queen, turned off the beeping sounds on the electronic tilts. Unbelievable. Because it was considered like unduly festive. Yeah, so it's or, it's or, not respectful or, when, you, when you hear no, it. No, it's not respectful and it was just absolutely pathetic and, and also like it was just getting in the way of things councils were closing fucking parks out of respect so like i can't go for a walk because there's fuck all on the telly because all of the the fun shows have been taken off you can't like enjoy the local park because that's closed gigs are being cancelled and like the there was a bike rack that was canceled. shut the but yes that was what i was thinking of the bike rack at the local park that was shut as a mark of respect to 
Queen Elizabeth. I mean, quite frankly, all that does, I think, is just increase resentment, right? The office I work in, I, I really don't expect that everyone is as ardent a Republican as I am. But people were watching the TV and going like, this is too much. This is way over the top. Everyone's got lives to live. In particular, and this was the thing that really fucked me off, actually. Uh, fuck, what's his name? Clive Myrie, the BBC newsreader, right? When they were going, oh. This fucking line of his, and this, like, enraged me beyond all measure. Was, City fan, uh, by the way. Yeah, yeah. Oh, he's no Rick Waitman. Yeah, Clive Myrie saying the cost of living crisis. Cost of living crisis. It was something like the cost of living crisis seems to pale in comparison to, or it seems unimportant now. Something like that in comparison is like, no, no, no. The cost of living crisis is still here. Actually, all this has done is delay any measure because, like, yeah, they closed Parliament where at the time when they could have passed some fucking legislation to actually help people out to mourn the death of a fabulously and independent well not independently wealthy but <laughs> you know what i mean partially independently wealthy woman talk about a real laying bare of what this country is who it is run for and the malign psychic energies just swirling around in the ether my favorite one and this will this will hit hard with you daniel i'm gonna read you from a Twitter account, I'm going to read you the bio, then the tweet. Okay. <laughs> oh, Twitter bio is always a good time. Always a good time. Shit, it's not mine, is it? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, we went on fucking radio silence after Yeah, we, we actually apart did. From, apart from one minute before the announcement was due to be made, David just posted a link to the Sap Time music video. <laughs> uh, a heartfelt final shout of resistance. So, at Club Alert... Alert is Manchester's biggest and longest running monthly gay fetish night for those who prefer their clubbing with a bit more sleaze. The tweet, Friday the 16th, following the death of Her Majesty, as you now enter a period of mourning, I feel it would be inappropriate to go ahead with Alert on the 16th. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, there was also um, there was one of Britain's most foremost gay saunas. Yeah, uh, I was literally about to say uh, Hugh Lemmy did an article about that. They they were going to continue opening, but they would be showing the funeral. This was the funeral. Yeah, yeah. Daggett bloke. Yeah. So 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 you could just be rocking ass in a gay sauna and rock up with the funeral cortege passing by. It's not going to do much for your hard on, is it? No, you're just sitting there with your bottle of Bex, respectfully saluting while you're getting noshed off. It's just uh, the, the things that patriotic dreams are made of. Uh, uh, right. So, yeah, he actually went to the gay sauna to watch the funeral. Yeah, it's, it's a great article. If you can find it, it's a superb article. Right, lads, here's what we're going to do now. We've had the balance. We've had the vaguely respectful stuff. <laughs> Give me let's, five minutes. Like Scott Steiner when he was out injured. Give me five minutes with the mic. Let's <laughs> open the portal to abject degeneracy now. Okay. Yes, please. So m- many people that listen to this programme, all ten of you, may be aware that I have some particular views pertaining to the institution of the monarchy and that I am, to put it mildly, quite Republican. Um, <laughs> In many senses. Republican not, with a capital yeah. republic. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and let's go a little bit further. There's no denying it. I have some views specifically on Irish republicanism and the history of the Troubles, which are, let's face it, to most in polite society, a little bit spicy. <laughs> um, now, picture the scene. Okay, I just moved to London. Prime location to be for to see all this madness unfold, okay? I was about a week from starting my teacher training. I was about to have my first trial shift at the pub that I now work in part-time when I'm not teaching the the, the youth, when I'm not infecting their minds with their cultural Marxism. And uh, the news had come on about the Queen. It was a bit bit ill. As you just said, the build-up, and I thought, hang on a minute, Hugh's got his tie on here. Is it a happening? 
I did um, enjoy Nicholas Mitchell for an hour before because he clearly knew she was already yeah. dead for two hours. Oh yeah, they all did. Of course they did. I'm, I'm, we I'm, don't I mean, know to, anything. If she to, is to, dead, to be honest, yeah. I actually celebrated his pain more than the death of the Queen because he is a particularly <laughs> odious man. But anyway, so I'm in the pub and I, I literally said as I walked out <laughs> to my, my dear partner, hey, could you imagine if she dies tonight on my first shift at the pub, right? <laughs> now, there is another very important piece of context for this, which the absolute unravelling of my life over the next few days. Um, you need this context. <laughs> so yeah, I got some very incoherent messages yes. from you. So like again, in the as, as, as many of you will know as well, I have throughout life um, had my struggles with various different substances. And I'm at a point in my life where I basically, for very long periods, just don't drink alcohol at all. Because I drink too much of it and I get into habits where I just end up drinking quite a lot and it's no good for me. And yeah, so anyway, at this point, I hadn't had a drink. I wasn't in recovery or anything, really, but I hadn't, I may as well have been, because I hadn't had a drink for about six months, okay? It was a very long time at this point. I hadn't had a drink at all. I had no intention of that day when I woke up, but literally, as I left the house, I turned around to Chell, because we'd made an agreement that if I did have a drink at any point, I would inform them, just so as they were could keep an eye on me. And I said, Chell, if it happens tonight, and they just looked at me and said, oh, of course. <laughs> So I was like, okay, here we are, game on. And I got to the pub and everyone's in a bit of a kerfuffle. So, hey, Dan, how's it going? Yeah, we'll show you how to do everything in a bit. The manager's just on the phone to the uh, the brewery because we need to figure out if we're still allowed to stay open if she dies, right? Because they didn't have a clue what was going on. And then eventually I'm pulling pints at the bar. A lad just comes up to me and he just says, oh, um, so she's dead. The queen's dead. So she's actually fucking dying. I went, yeah, yeah. I've kept, you know, first shift at a new job. I have to be yeah, very careful be about it. <laughs> very careful. I went, oh, right. I just said to him, how do you feel about that? And, we, and he just went, oh. <laughs> and, he, and, he, and he just said, oh, I'm not that bothered, really. I'm like, okay, fair enough. So I was, you know, gauging the mood of the punters, that kind of thing. Anyway, I got the job. And then, as is standard in these sort of things, the manager that had just given me my job, who happened to be from Galway, said to me, I'm, I'm actually going out on the piss tonight. Do you fancy coming with me? And, well, you know, you just moved to London. You've just got this new job. Let's become friends. Let's go out for a drink. And I sort of said, OK, we'll do that. So basically, I am at this point. Look, lads, she was an old woman. I wasn't celebrating the death of an old woman. I was celebrating the piss boiling of a thousand gammons. Right. That was yeah, what absolutely. I was that, that's really the important distinction. That, to make. That's, and the institution of the crown and all that kind of stuff. Right. So basically, I'm trying to keep it on the down low that I am not celebrating the Queen's death. Six pints later, <laughs> I was loudly proclaiming to anyone that listened that the British monarchy was responsible for the deaths of 10 men in Long Cash in 1980. <laughs> 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 Singing rebel songs. At two in the morning, I was at the only pub that was still open, which was an Irish pub, which, um, let's just say, back in the day, the hat would be passed around for fundraisers. <laughs> for the lads. <laughs> For the lads. For the okay. cause back home. Yeah, yeah, you know. DJ's um, my, my father-in-law. Yeah, um. yeah. <laughs> so this basically ended up with, and then at, at a certain point, Chell, was, who'd also been out with me, was pretty pissed and was like, oh, we need to go home. We're both bad. And I went, yeah, yeah, fed, it's fed, it's fed. Okay. I woke up the next morning at five o'clock <laughs> with a Deliveroo bag <laughs> and a receipt on it and three empty four packs of bottles of Peroni and a half-eaten kebab, and my laptop screen open with a torrent website with the wind that shakes the barley downloaded. <laughs> I then went to another hostelry <laughs> round the corner 
where I was the only person in the pub. Where I found their free jukebox, put oh, on no. the Dubliners. <laughs> and then, through the course of my writing and podcasting and various things, I am friends with various different people who were involved in the Troubles, shall we say. We'll say say no more than that. The last thing I remember is being woken up by the barkeep and saying, yeah, you can't just keep falling asleep here, though. You're going to have to go home. (laughs) I looked at my phone and I had sent a message to every single former member of the provisional IRA who I'm in contact with through my (laughs) writing work, just saying basically something along the lines of, (laughs) Sorry, Dan, that's absolutely destroyed me. And so two days later, (laughs) I eventually got home (laughs) and fell asleep. (laughs) Have to be honest, haven't had much of a drink since. That was it. (laughs) And for all of you last year who thought that David and I's trip to the Pharaohs was a wild ride. (laughs) Fucking hell. But like, well, this this is the thing about the whole long cash thing, right? There was people in the news who were credulous liberal dickheads who I've talked about before, the Ian Dunn to this world, talking about how the monarchy was a force for good in terms of decolonization, like the, the <laughs> Yeah, I, I I know exactly. It, it is ridiculous, but like this is the argument being made. The Empire was given away on her watch, right? But, given but, away. Yeah, we get given away. Fuck off. Yeah, yeah no, just out Uganda. of our hearts, all right. We gave Africa back <sighs> to the Africans, and, and, and then we we certainly didn't leave any people behind to extract all the natural resources. No, no, no. But this is the argument they were making, right? But in the same breath, there were a lot of people, maybe with Republican sympathies or African Americans as well, who were descended from slaves, and like the Crown had a lot of interest in things like the East India Company, various companies who trafficked people from Africa, who were in a fairly jubilant mood and people saying oh no 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 but no she wasn't involved in in that it was the government and it's like well either the sovereign is a either they have power or they don't they cannot be a benign force for the change and progressive change when it suits you but at the same time have no culpability in the bad stuff and it's particularly dispiriting coming from people like this because i swear like even 10 years ago being a republican was not an unfashionable belief amongst liberals and even no. some small c conservatives it no, was no, a- no yeah republicans with a small r without the prefix irish was considered to be a perfectly normal liberal position yeah and this was generally understood back in the 90s when the royal family was genuinely very unpopular because of the way in which they were seen to have treated Princess Diana, who was very popular. And like, I, I had a horrible histories book. This was like the late late 90s, which was about the monarchy from William the Conqueror onwards. And it actually did allude to the possibility of Queen Elizabeth II being the last monarch of, of England. This was in a children's book. Can you imagine that getting printed nowadays? That was literally something that was being talked about at the time and I think one of the things that and I had this discussion with my parents in the immediate aftermath my mum is broadly supportive of the monarchy my dad used to be kind of neutral on it and I think I've managed to radicalize him to a certain extent but the argument I made was that you get people who who are like I'm against the monarchy but I respect the monarch Firstly, that's bollocks, right? Second, secondly, like I, I think I did manage to persuade my folks that not not only should there not be a monarchy, but also the Queen herself was not a particularly good person. Like, if you actually, and I would recommend this book, it's called 
Running the Family Firm, I think it's called, mm. by a, a, an academic called Laura Clancy. It's a really, really good book. It's a quite, a, I think it came out last year, maybe. Uh, now, it's like an academic book, so it, it's not the most accessible. You can tell it used to be like a postdoctoral project or, or some yeah. kind of uh, thesis, because there's a lot of, in Chapter 2, I will argue that, in Chapter 4, I will argue that, as I said, in Chapter 6, you know. But like, what it does do is lay bare, I think, the extent to which it's not some kind of benign institution in our nation's fabric, right? Firstly, it is symbolic of massive inequality, sure, but it also produces inequalities and reproduces them, not just by hoarded wealth, but certain things such as the so-called black spider memos, right? The um, tangible interference that representatives of the of the monarch and the, and the monarchs uh, themselves were making in our democracy, the idea that laws affecting the rules had to be submitted for their approval, and they were suggesting edits to them, and the government was just going along with it. I mean, in what sense are we a democracy when that kind of thing is allowed to happen? So you look at all of the stuff like the Queen managed to secure herself exceptions from or exemptions, should I say, from you know anti-discrimination legislation, legislation to mandate that you have to try and mitigate climate change at least at least a little bit, not paying the cleaners um, a living wage, all that sort of stuff. It's it's very clear that well, yes, if you tell people they should be above the law and that they deserve to be even in just a symbolic sense, the head of state of the country because they have the special blood, then you shouldn't necessarily be surprised when it turns out that they have been using this to actually create tangible power for themselves. And this is not to mention the present king's interference in all sorts of urban planning stuff, his uh, sort of hobby horse about natural development, which is fairly retrograde in itself, or the Prince Andrew stuff as well, like the £12 million of public money spent buying off someone who alleged that uh, Prince Andrew had been, shall we say, a bad boy, and all, all the rest of it. And, and that is what the monarchy is. It, it is an aberration, really. <laughs> what more is there to say about it? I mean, uh, luckily, yeah. David's just received news and his countrymen have just received news today that uh, it looks like we're heading towards the uh, the Workers' Republic in Scotland anyway. So he, he'll be <laughs> The grand. union has been compromised. He, he'll, he'll be grand. Ireland will be united before. It'll just be me and you that are oh, fucked, George. Oh, this, is, this is the best bit as well. My mum my really doesn't like the DUP. She's not like really politically engaged. She doesn't like the DUP because they're extremely right-wing and have clearly been sort of trying to collapse the government. Oh, and my mum thinks there should be a united Ireland. And she texted me saying, well, let's hope in the next election there's a big Sinn Féin majority. <laughs> I was like, firstly, that was not something I, I expected to hear. Secondly, I was like, I, I don't want to tell her that that's actually impossible as per the uh, proportional representation <laughs> yeah. um, system. I don't want to burst the bubble. But yeah, it, it's interesting, right? And it's kind of like, sorry to compare the Queen to Vince McMahon, but like, yeah, it, it, there's a lot of commonality if you think about it, like deeply personally corrupt. And it was very hard to imagine life without them at the top. And now we now we kind of have to like I still find myself referring to Prince Charles, right? Because for my entire fucking life, that's what he's he was. Not a fucking spaniel, George. <laughs> I, can't, I can't call him King Charles. Not happening. Yes, Prince Charles. He will always be Prince Charles. Yeah. However, no, I, no, I'm not fucking changing it. Speaking of people pretending to be kings. Would you like to play my game? That I have yes, here? the second quiz of the episode, and I really hope we do better than the first one. This, this, I think you might, to be fair. This is my favourite Wikipedia article of the year. List of dignitaries at the state funeral of Elizabeth II. <laughs> yes, okay. please. Section Other Royalty. Subsection Non-Reigning Monarchs. 
Oh, brilliant. I have wow. 12 non-reigning monarchs. <laughs> My God. And I want you to tell me whether they were at the Queen's funeral or not. Okay, well, we're almost guaranteed to do better simply because <laughs> the questions are all 50-50 chance. If we get one out of 10, something has gone badly wrong. Yeah, well, well you've got 12. First up, the hereditary prince and hereditary princess of Baden. Where are okay, they there? Baden in Germany, then. Yeah, um, Baden, Baden. Okay. Um, um, I'm going I'm to say, say yeah. I'm going to say no. Daniel is correct. They were indeed there. Next up, Tsar Simeon II of Bulgaria. Oh, he was the bloke who was the prime minister, right? Yeah, so he's I actually have heard of this one. Uh, yeah, he he came back and he ran for prime minister on a platform. I used to be the king when I was two years old, and everyone in Bulgaria was like, "He did used to be the king when he was two years old." <laughs> <laughs> Let's make him the prime minister. It turned out he's fucking good. Cover of those those you know uh, Facebook and uh, Twitter accounts that is like just like mind Lars Bohinen, mind him. <laughs> <laughs> we need a Sid Lambert, but for minor roles. Yeah, who remembers Mixu Pataliden? <laughs> okay, Simeon the Second of Bulgaria. I'm going to assume that's a yes. What are you going with, Daniel? Oh, um, I'm going to tactically say yes as well. Yeah, he's correct. He was indeed there. So it's two nice. one, Daniel. Yeah. Next up, Harun Osman, 46th head of the House of Osman, de facto emperor of the Ottoman Empire. <laughs> <laughs> Oh these are God. all real people, by the way. These I'm not made these up. These are all real people. I thought the Osmonds lived in Utah. <laughs> um, fuck. Uh, I'm gonna say no. What do you think, George? I'm I'm gonna say that like I think the Ottoman Empire's been dead for so long that it's gonna be no. That that's not really a prerequisite for for this. Um, <laughs> no, However, you are indeed correct. Harold yes. Osman did not go to the Queen's funeral. Next up, this is a group of four. <laughs> the four pillars. Yeah, the four <laughs> pillars uh, of Pluto. Queen Anne Marie of Greece, Crown Prince Pavlos, and Crown Prince Maria Chantal of Greece, and Princess Feodora of Greece and Denmark. Now uh, you may know Crown Prince Pavlos uh, if you've ever watched BBC News, and then you yes. get one who's especially rationally right wing, um, on to talk about Greece. At least, at least it wasn't like the Chilean election where they interviewed oh, yeah. a guy called Gonzalo Pinochet. Is literally like, any relation? Absolutely. <laughs> so, it's, like the, it's like the bottom joke about what's your name, Eddie? What's your second name, Hitler? You call any Hitler any relation? Yes, my mother. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Daniel, you go. Uh, I was going to say yes, because um, the dear old racist, uh, he was a Greek, wasn't he, by um, birth? He was. So I'm going to say, I'm going to say yes, because I did see this cat on the news around about the time of the funeral, and everyone was taking the piss out of it, like, Pavlos, crown prince of Greece. And everyone was like, no, you're fucking not. <laughs> so correct. Yeah, exactly. He yeah. is a dead giveaway. He's always in BBC News. So you are currently, it's 3-1, to uh, 3-2, sorry, to Daniel. I think it's 4-3, actually. Uh, no, you. Oh yeah, four three. Sorry, yeah, you did get it. Daniel's four for four. He, he, he just, yes. just stick to like my yeah. my minor European inbreds. Like you yeah. clearly know far more about this than you do about pro <laughs> wrestling. Um, the Landgrave and Landgravine of Hesse. <laughs> Hess. Not a word. Hesse. H e s s e. Yeah. Um. I believe it's in Austria. No, I think it's in Germany. It used to be one of the minor German states. 
Uh, yes, that is correct. Yeah, yeah. yeah I'm, I'm going to go with no. I'll go with yes, because if I'm not right, it makes a time. It's more exciting, isn't it? They were indeed at the funeral. Fuck's sake, that was two ahead. Spy free. Now this one. Prince Nicholas Romanov. Tsar of Russia. They didn't get them all. They didn't get them all. <laughs> Sorry, just the very idea of it is just... <laughs> Do you reckon he thinks that still maybe one day? <laughs> you never know. Okay. Um, that's got to be a yes because the, the royal family is related to the Roman. I mean, they were of course, yeah, 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 particularly uh, uh, related yeah. to the Roman. Current yeah. climate, oh, Russia, Ooh, cousin, cousin Nicky and, and cousin Willie. Um, yeah, I don't think they've probably set foot in Russia for a while. Yeah, I mean, this is very famous, but there's a, a famous photo of, of all the families together at one point at a retreat. Yeah, the, yeah, and like the, the, the cousins all look identical. Well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so I'm going to say. I'm not even sure if this guy actually exists, but you said they're all—they're all definitely real. They are all real. Huh? Okay, I, I'm gonna say yes. <laughs> right, I'm—I'm <laughs> I'm gonna say right. So it's a no, right? Even oh no! Here. However, I googled who, and there was like someone who was claiming to be the Tsar of Russia, right? <laughs> <laughs> the head of the house of the Romanovs, right? And I googled who is the head of the Romanov family when he came up, right? And then I've googled him <laughs> again just there. Found out he died in 2014, right? Mm-hmm. So he definitely wasn't there. He was, succeed- he was then succeeded by Prince Dmitry Romanovich, um, who died in 2016. And then he was succeeded by Prince Andrew um, Romanov, who died in 2021. We're about four away in the space of eight years. They're all stupidly old. I think they were all born in the 20s. But, but, but I can confirm that Prince Alexis Andreevich, who is apparently the current successor, but he doesn't have a wiki, so he probably has died. <laughs> I, was, um, I was going to say, yeah. like, is, is this guy like an actual descendant? Are we in some kind of Perkin Warbeck slash Lambert Simnel situation? I believe Post he is. Post Dim- Dimitrius back. Yeah, I believe he has a descendant. Was well, okay. her son was like severely ill or something. So I don't, I don't know the. Of exact course, the world. They all have fucking haemophilia. Well, exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, he literally did. Yeah, this son literally did have haemophilia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, That's why they had up, that, that nice Mr. Rasputin to heal him. Sorted him out, didn't he? Yeah. <laughs> princess Xenia of Hohenlohe Langenberg for the Xenia Warrior Princess. Do you think Where? she was at Hohenlohe Langenberg? Now there was a. I'm so ashamed of myself. I know this. There was a Hohenlohe Langenberg who was the prime minister of Germany in the like 1900s, like real early 20th century, I think. So based on that, I'm going to say yes. So as far as I can see here, it was it's located in the current northeast next to Baden-Württemberg. Okay. It's like a principality in the whole Roman mm-hmm. Empire. I'm going to say yes. You are indeed correct. Senior yes. Warrior Princess was at... <laughs> Senior Warrior Princess. Where's Kevin Sorbo when you need him? Star of <laughs> God's Not Dead 2. <laughs> oh, um, so, one, two, three, four, five, six. You've got them all right. No, you've got... Um, I got one wrong. wrong. Yeah, yeah. So one, two, three, four, five, six. So, it's six, three, six, six four. four. Six, four, six, four, one. Next up, the custodian of the crown of Romania and Prince Radu. <laughs> What what a name! So this will be the descendant of King Carol of Romania, who famously chose the team for the 1930 World yeah. Cup. Yes, yeah. <laughs> well, I'm going to go no for this one. I, I this is based on absolutely nothing. But I'm going to say no. 
again, based on absolutely nothing, I'll say yes, just to make it more more interesting. You are indeed correct, Daniel. Fuck's um, sake! Is, is the next one Jan Venegor of Hesselink? <laughs> <laughs> he had Deep a cut there for all the SPL fans. He was doing a signing at Greaves. Next up, Leka, Prince of Albania, head of the House of Zogu. <laughs> oh, as, as in Zog Skanderbeg. Yes, exactly. Yep. Very, very, very nice. Weird, weirdly enough, the county and test cricketer CB Fly was offered the crown of Albania at one point. <laughs> very, very strange. I'm going to say no based on the fact that like, Albania didn't really have a monarchy for that long, so I guess they're not maybe that important. Well, hmm. what what would knew, Enver Hodger do? I knew you'd get the fucking Albania one in there uh, somehow, David. Um, yeah. Um, what would Hodger do at this point? Retreat to the bunker? <laughs> um, <laughs> um, um, probably get into some really nasty split with the Chinese. Um... <laughs> Oh, I don't. I'm gonna say. I'm gonna say. I'm you know fuck it. I'm gonna say yes because every other cunt's there. <laughs> no, so like our friends are not. The like comeback is Virginia. on. Yeah. No, yeah. I, I was gonna mention he is like a government official. He is like fucking knee deep in in the sort of right. bureaucracy in the Albanian government for some odd reason. Okay, well, well bear in mind, George, that you, you've still got to go for this next question. You've got to get something, okay? And I would love, I would love it. I would love it. <laughs> He didn't get this right. Yeah. He's got to go he's, there and get he's something. Got, yeah. He's got to go to Baden-Württemberg and get something. Yeah, yeah. So you get three more. When you more, say, that, right? when you say that about players like Ember Hodger, yeah. <laughs> when you say that about Count Hohenlohe Zulangenberg. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we get three more. Everyone's favourite um, mixed tag team: Crown Prince Alexander and Crown Princess Catherine of Yugoslavia. Ooh. A country I completely forgot had a monarchy. <laughs> okay, I'll go yes. A country that just—I should clarify—does not exist. And yes, spectacularly does not exist. <laughs> yes, indeed. <sighs> Sorry, that's just my genuine like breath of sorrow for the fact that Yugoslavia doesn't exist. Oh God, <sighs> the best communist country. Um, <laughs> genuinely though, no, no, it's for real. Um, hmm. <sighs> yes. What are you saying, George? Um, I said, I forgot what I said, it was literally 30 seconds ago. I said yes. Yes, so you are correct. They were both there. Cool. Okay, Um, okay. I can only draw now. If it's a draw, you need to find some other inbred cunt to make it a tiebreaker. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Sudden death. Um, That's what I hope most of these people suffer. (laughs) Yeah. The king and queen of the Kingatanga. Oh, right. Firstly, where is that? I've literally never heard of this place. I believe there is. I believe it is the uh, Maori people. Oh, okay. Um, n- no. What are you saying, Dinah? Because on the one hand, you'd think not at all. But then on the on the other hand, even those cultures that put up the most fiercest resistance to sort of colonial rule do develop within them a kind of institutionalized assimilated class that tends to doff their caps for things like this out of wanting to seem um diplomatic and mm-hmm. um that kind of thing um so against everything i believe in uh, in terms of what I, I think the answer might be i'm gonna say yes you're indeed correct daniel oh um, no the the king and queen of the king's hangar were there and so that, that's you out george but you're playing for pride here but I'll give you one. The, the ultimate one, yeah. 
Karl von Habsburg, descendant to the throne of the Austro-Hungarian Empire. <laughs> Absolutely, yes. Surely. What are you saying, Daniel? Are you are you on the, um, the Habsburg train, the Habsburg Express? I'm. You know what? Um, all aboard. Choo choo. Here we go. I'm on it. Yep, I, I'm saying yes. Going on the Habsburg Express. Here we go again. <laughs> We're <laughs> on the road again. <laughs> um, I can confirm that Karl von Habsburg descended to the throne of Austro-Hungarian Empire. Christian uh, Democrat, Austrian politician, was not at the Really? Uh, unbelievable. I could not believe it. They literally, the man from our family stole and read, they literally did a 30 Rock episode about them. <laughs> unbelievable. Fuck's sake, I'm, I'm batting under 500 on this. If I literally guessed every answer, I should have got a six. Yeah, yeah well, I guessed pretty much all of them. You know, know. You, know you know what? After this, you know what I'm teaching tomorrow morning? French what? Revolution. Oh, it's <laughs> really yeah. wetted your whistle for that. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. I think we'll part with my final story about the Queen dying was such a laugh. Twitter was incredible. I'm so glad Elon Musk didn't get his hands on it before it happened. Comedy is legal again. Talk about Twitter. Oh, what's there more to talk about? Depressing like every other fucking thing. um, Friend of the show, Jackson, was telling me when we went down to... Friend of the world. Friend of humanity. Friend friend of everyone, yeah. When we went to to Wrestle Queendom, he was telling me that he works at Cafe Otto. He's literally living my dream job. He is the gig guy at Cafe Otto and he goes and he mainly just drinks uh, at Cafe Otto most days and gets paid for it. However, Cafe Otto was on the way through the queue. Remember the, the, oh, the, the grief snake? It was like two my, days. Yeah, Sorry, can, yeah, I, can, yeah. I, can I just say that like, for all the people who are saying like, this is the British people at their best. No, no, no. It is the British people at their worst. This whole fucking forelock tugging made me profoundly depressed. Can I make a confession? You may, you know how they were live streaming the grief snake and like you can watch like <laughs> the grief snake. The grief snake, that's what I call it. Um, that was uh, great late night TV. That some of it. Oh, I honestly, me and my friend sat for two hours and watched. Me too. It. There was people it's, saluting and all sorts. It was brilliant. Honestly, my TV show of the year. It was but, so it, much. It fun. Like that that channel I got uh, in this hotel in Morocco, where literally the whole thing was a loop of people going around uh, the Black Stone in Mecca and like verses from the Quran on a little ticker on the bottom. Yeah, it's just <laughs> incredible. People watching, and as a fan of Stalinist pageantry, this this <laughs> was like this was like a twelve day Christmas. This was the twelve days of Christmas for me. This whole days thing. of Alan Archibald. The twelve days of Alan Archibald, <laughs> uh, which got an airing on Saturday. Good. I was so glad. Um, but so the grease snake at a moment in time that will never happen again I absolutely loved it but Jackson's work is on the path of the grease snake mm. and he passed it what, I don't think he was cycling I could just never picture Jackson on a bike it just doesn't <laughs> work but um, he's telling me he walked past it part of the grease snake got to next to a warehouse and it was I believe it was Sunday morning like 7 8 a.m. And it was next to a warehouse. Daniel, what happens in warehouses at Sunday morning at 7 a.m.? <laughs> All sorts of stuff, Couldn't my friend. Say. Um, he, yeah. It was a warehouse <laughs> with an underground rave in it. Sorry, I'm having flashbacks. People were, people were absolutely off their bins. And what they were doing is they're coming out for a fag into the grief snake. So they were going <laughs> in and they were just sitting there and they were just looking at everyone just sitting there waiting to mourn the queen. <laughs> absolutely on another planet. Never, never has there been a, a more like obvious case of these are my people, those are not my people. <laughs> yeah. But they were just sitting there all just tripping <clears throat> balls, 
watching people just morosely just walk a wee bit in the I'm grease so snake. jealous I didn't get to do that. that and he just walked by it and he, he was just sitting watching the two of them, just watching these people who are just absolutely fucking spangled and these people are in, in the queue and it's just <laughs> an amazing juxtaposition. I loved it so Incredible. much. Incredible. Incredible. Okay, so uh, last thing to do on this episode, Daniel has had to go off, sadly, because this is the uh, second uh, of two recording sessions. We we can't just crank out a whole Christmas special in uh, in one sitting. It is a marathon endeavour, as you no doubt be familiar with. He's had to go and deal with your know, various end-of-term things and uh, what have you, so it's just myself and David, to cover what we like to call Terry Riley's personal collection. This is our annual jaunt to China to check out what's going on in the wrestling scene there. Volume 5, I believe this is. So, the- How can this be Volume 5? What are we doing with our lives, George, for that? <laughs> volume 5 of this. Jesus Christ. No wonder Daniel retired to the drawing room for a brandy and a cigar. Why are we sniffed her eye? It's been wet my whistle. Um, yeah, what the fuck? What are the other matches? Okay, so there was, one, there was the one last year. There was a Steve VSO teacher match. There was the Big Sam match from the year before. And there was that OWE six man and oh, uh, Tam Nakano and Natsuko Tora. Yeah, that, yeah. That match where they like seem to weirdly get really heated for some reason. Tam Nakano of Wrestle Kingdom fame. Um, I, I, I know, I know. Yeah, that's been announced since our first this uh, the first half of this recording. That's pretty wild. It's uh, second from the top, of course, because Jim Smallman is booking New Japan now, apparently. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. It's the it's the second main event for me behind Oleg Boltan's three minute showcase. <laughs> yeah, and the dark it's happening. <laughs> look, look. All I'm saying is he should have debuted long before now. Would Victor Zangiev have become a better wrestler if you'd have taught him to work a chin log? No, absolutely not. No, he should be Get champion. Out there. He should he should have the IWGP title by now. <laughs> we see we have truly moved away from the light of the late Antonio Inoki. Um, anyway, so this match is a... Okay, so it's billed as a Devil's Rules match. We will see what this means later. And this pits uh, Uncle Money of the stable against a masked wrestler called Zombie Dragon. I had to check whether this was a Yu-Gi-Oh card or not. It isn't. There is Dragon Zombie. I don't know if, uh, if that's any different. I thought it was going to be Dragon Gate Chaff. Because you know how they went for a phase of having, like... Ultimo Dragon, and then Dragon Kids, and then Darkness Dragon, and then Dragon Dragon. And, uh, <laughs> some of these may not have been Dragon Gates. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's going to be some sort of stupid Osaka Pro spin-off or something like that, and they've just got a... Nope, it's not. It's just a guy. He's just a bloke in a mask. I mean, MKW, for we are back in the world of Middle Kingdom Wrestling. This match took place on the 15th of December 2018. Franchise They're... Wrestling. <laughs> Their weird selection of fly-ins. I'm not talking about your Uncle Money's and your Big Sam's of the world who like very clearly live in China because like we're the best one in the world they're not getting flown halfway across the world to wrestle but the imports they bring in are absolutely wild I, I think Zombie Dragon is I don't know if he's resident in China or not but they brought in like could it be some random PWG guy from 2005 could it be a French catch legend from the 60s he's just over for a jolly it could be literally anyone I mean speaking of what else was on the card we had a semi-main of Zeta Shang versus Hibiscus Me. Hibiscusu. Hibiscusu is that whatever that other podcast was pronounced it. And uh, that actually sounds like it would be good. And a main event of our boy Big Sam defending the title against a former ROH wrestler. David, did you see who it was? I didn't. I did not. Well, ROH it, and Impact. Is it one of? Remember which one of the American Wheels is the asshole? 
<laughs> Davey Richards. The... No, it's not Davey. No, is it Eddie? <laughs> it's not Eddie. No, no. I'm reasonably confident you could have 20 guesses at this and not guess it. I, I'm, ass- I, I'm assuming this is some sort of X Division bottom feeder that... Um... Um, he may have been in the X Division. I don't know. He. he I mean, if he in... was an ROH, he most definitely was punted into the X Division. <laughs> Impact, right? he, he joined Impact and indeed probably ROH after I stopped watching. Right, okay. Uh... Oh, um, give me a year. That would imply that I actually... 2016, 17, maybe? It's not him, is it? Who? It's not Mr. Chastity Belt himself, is it? <laughs> Austin Aries. Austin Aries. I, I don't think you wore a chastity belt. He wore a promise ring. You're yeah, getting, same your, hang, you're getting same your weird Christo stuff way mixed up. <laughs> I think a heavyweight. Heavyweight. Oh, um... I mean, I mean, we're just taking the 20 guesses, aren't we? Um, <laughs> May as well. This is a, your third and final quiz of the evening. So, yeah, I don't, I'm trying to figure out ROH, Impact. I can give you two contemporaneous Impact wrestlers of the time. It was not Falabar, and it was not the Freak Rob Terry. <laughs> the Freak Rob Terry, what a boy, man. What was that fucking stable called? So he was in the British Invasion. He was, uh, yes. And he was in, not the oddities, oh, it was the... The Menagerie. The Menagerie. They had a guy Crazy in Stiltshire. Steve. Yeah. Crazy Steve. They had a guy in Stiltshire a week. And I was like, oh my God, I want the guy <laughs> in Stilts to wrestle so much. Like, that would have been the greatest match. <laughs> you know, I said to get the guy in Stilts to wrestle one week. Sadly not. It was not to be. Yes, that sounds dangerous. <laughs> Book it rising. Um, <laughs> I'm really struggling. It was none other than Congo Kong. Oh dear. Oh no. Uh, <laughs> uh, Congo Kong versus Big Sam. Love to know what that looks like. All the stars are here, George. All the stars are here. <laughs> They're here in Middle Kingdom Wrestling. We actually get a hype video for this. It's, yeah. It, it, uh, what a video. I mean, it's uh, in a kind of uh, unbecoming act of pretension. It is uh, structured into acts like a Shakespeare play. It starts off with Uncle Money getting mad at a staff member after losing to a sunset flip and beating him up. He's called Dabai, I think. He will factor into things later. And uh, our man Chairman Al calls him off. Chairman Al continues to be a delight. By far the best element of MKW, a dapper-dressed manager who is always cheating. He is the fabric of the company. He is, um, and that fabric is a really, really sickly smelling tweed when you get rain on it. Um, it's, <laughs> yes. What a man. I unironically oh, no, love Chairman Al. He's great. Uh, Act 2 features. This was had a sort of low-budget horror movie thing to it. I didn't mind this. Uh, zombie dragon in a church, and then in the ring, lighting a book on fire. Now, before you go, oh, that's a little bit hackneyed. NXT last year tried to do that and failed spectacularly. I think Keith Lee was involved. Yeah, it will have been. Uh, I'm getting big anime month? vibes from this. Something you'd have watched on Toonami in like Cartoon Network on in like the nineties when you were a kid and not understand any of the sort of theological implications of it, but you loved every second of it. <laughs> and then uh, Zombie Dragon missed someone and Uncle Money looks scared. And then there's highlights of a match which, like all MKW shows, is in front of fucking no one. <laughs> um, like those NXT UK lockdown tapings drew better than this. There might be, have been more people, and going back to early on, we were talking about the protests and stuff at Fissle. We basically emptied a stand for a game, and there was no one there. And I think there might have been more people there <laughs> than in this show. Live from the John Lambie stand, it's Middle Kingdom Wrestling. <laughs>
So the, the finish of this match is Money clocks the ref. I think the ref is the staff member from earlier because he fires back on Uncle Money with a, a diving crossbody, which uh, knocks the little shoves Earl Hebner used to give at Triple H when he started standing up for himself into a cocked hat. And then Uncle Money is about to give the ref a spear, but Zombie Dragon <laughs> fires back with the diving mist. Something I've genuinely never seen before, and I did pop for. That was great. Oh, excellent stuff. Absolutely excellent stuff. We could not recommend any more. No how, notes. How, Chef's how, kiss. I mean, how has none of the practitioners of the mist ever done this before? You know, uh, Asuka, Tajiri, Muto, the great Kabuki. <laughs> Love to see Kabuki do that nowadays. But on his stairlift, but coming down. <laughs> and then uh, Act 3, it seems like... This was a very weird creative choice. There was some kind of silent movie piano playing in the background. <laughs> a little bit of piano. And then... This... Again, very anime. This all just reeks of 90s anime. That's the kind of music that a villain would tie a damsel to a train track to. There was not nearly enough moustache twiddle in here. There needed oh, to no. be far more moustaches twiddled. <laughs> so it seems like he's... Well, it looked like he was doing some kind of sacrifice. I'm pretty sure Zombie Dragon's the face in this feud, by the way. And then it seems like the quote-unquote victim of this was reborn slash brainwashed. I think it's all uh, Darby in this, so he's kind of like the third guy in this. He's the Camilla Parker Bowles to the uh, Charles and Diana of uh, Zombie Dragon and Uncle Money. There's a... Uh, Would you like a Christmas cracker joke? Go on. <laughs> What's the difference between Dubai and people from Abu Dhabi? Okay. Dubai doesn't watch the Flintstones, but people from Abu Dhabi do. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> For fuck's sake, that did take me a while actually. It's been, it's been a long day, and seasonal uh, depression. We've all got the cold. It's taking, it's taking time. Just slowed our wits, which accounts for much of the content you have just heard in this episode. So there's a promo before the match. Uncle Money says he is not scared. He is better promo than Big Sam. I'll give him that. And then he does his catchphrase, which is "Somebody better pay Uncle Money." David, final quiz for you. So Uncle Money, before moving to China, was a wrestler on the US indie scene. Considering that he has the catchphrase, somebody better pay Uncle Money, and considering what the wrestling industry is like, can you guess what gimmick Uncle Money used to do on the US indies? I mean, I feel the name has to be Big Papa Cash. That seems like the... the, the no, no, I mean, like, his is... name was Uncle Money. What character did he play? Somebody better pay Uncle Money. Who might be paying him? Was he, by any chance, one of the people I sat next to at Tokyo Championship <laughs> Wrestling by any chance? He will have been. Yes, he was a pimp. <laughs> of course he was. A legitimate businessman, George. <laughs> we don't get a promo from Zombie Dragon, which is a shame, because I really would have liked to see what he was like on the stick. The commentator, who appears to be some kind of British man... He's not great, but I was grateful for his presence simply because I have seen MKW videos before that were commentated by the real OG Kevin Gill. So I'm very thankful to this guy for saving us from that, at least. He at the very least beat the guy at Wrestle Princess this year who says, I'm getting a lot of retro vibes from this to Judas Priest Electric Eye, which was released <laughs> in like 1978 or something like that. <laughs> To be fair, stuff from the 2000s is considered retro now, which is making me feel extremely old. So, yeah, this commentator, he strays too far into the into the meta for me when, he's, uh, when he talks about, and I quote, zombie dragon law. I love that he has law. Says that he was chained in hell for a thousand years. And uh, then the commentator says that uh, zombie dragon is... he working is... in a call center by any chance? Because that... <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, I mean, this might tie into your call center experience. The commentator says that zombie dragon is chaotic evil. Again, like... Quite meta, too much for my taste. Our man this man Al. is drowning in lore. I mean, he's, he's absolutely cut adrift in lore. There's no rescuing him at this point. It's great. 
and then we get the entrance from uh, Zombie Dragon. Zombie Dragon's entrance is he just slides out from under the ring. That that is cool. I I do like the presentation of this guy. It's obviously like not especially high rent because this is the indie scene in China. But like the presentation of Zombie Dragon has got something about it. Yeah, I, yeah, I did like that. And yeah, sliding from underneath the ring is a fantastic move. I did enjoy that. It's up there with the Rey Mysterio. Rey Mysterio and Sin Cara both had a trampoline at one point, didn't they? I don't know uh, if Rey Mysterio did. He jumped out the sky famously sorry. as the song went. Who's that jumping out of the sky? R-E-Y, exactly. You know, the Sin Cara trampoline with the lights is a high mark. But this guy done the reverse Titus O'Neil. It was great. <laughs> the reverse Titus O'Neil. He really did. Oh, um, fantastic. So as, as to what a Devil's Rules match actually is, it's a chain match. I'm not going to lie, right? I was hoping I had this all mapped out in my head. <laughs> this- this was going to be a Duchess of Queensborough rules match. Oh but my god. All the rules are conducted via seance, right? So they just have a guy, an announcer at a Ouija board, and then every so often they just go, no, um, it's a DQ. That's what the logical thing here would have been to do, but yeah. I don't even know if you can call it a chain. Can we talk about the chain? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I think one of the things about chain matches or Texas bull rope matches, dog collar matches, whatever you want to call it, the length of the chain is very important. Because very, very important. Very important because if it's too short, then obviously you can't really do, <laughs> do a lot. Uh, you're, you're tethered together in a very literal sense. But if it's too long, then the chain may as well not be there. So there has to be a happy medium. Um, it doesn't actually get attached until a couple of minutes in because Uncle Money does a little bit of a, a cheap shot. I, I do quite like that. Now, I, I just want to say, George, speaking as a person whose father still called his trade card for being q <laughs> they can cut it to length. Do you know what I mean? Like, you just got to them and go, I need this long, and then they give you that length. Clearly what they've done is they've went to Wix, or the Chinese equivalent of Wix. Yes. On the day, they've bought a chain, got their radar, and went, ah, oh, lads, this is too short. Can we go out to Wix? Not a shot. Ah, oh, right, okay. What are we going to do? The other problem as well is the chain gets knotted as well. I was wincing a little bit of this because this is this is essentially a dog collar match is what it is. Is that right? It's a dog collar match. It's around the throat. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Now, speaking as someone who once had a dog collar match in my backyard wrestling federation, would not advise, nearly died, wouldn't do it again. Turns out you can't really move very well on your neck and if there's any sort of tension on that chain yeah you're, you're just gonna collapse yeah. your fucking trachea don't do it and i yeah it was it was uneasy times for me watching this it just gave me flashbacks to the time i nearly died and i had to try and to explain to my family why i nearly died and and the dog collar step match <laughs> yeah don't, wow, don't do that no no it's, it's often not a good idea when you know people who actually have wrestling training do it um... our chain was definitely better than this though <laughs> So the chain finally gets attached. They do a bit of a brawl into the crowd. I love when wrestlers brawl into the crowd and show that the show hasn't sold out. Stardom do it at Corrigan Hall all the time. They'll just do it when there's just like masses of empty orange seats. I, I know. It's like, come on, accentuate the positives and hide the negatives. Don't just walk into the desolate wasteland of seats <laughs> and show how many they've not sold. To be fair, I think whatever angle you showed this from, it would not look great in terms of a turnout. Yeah, no, absolutely. No, I, I did like it. I do like them going down the, the rows of seats and stuff like that. And yeah, it, it was good fun. Did they end up in the front row with people? Is that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, sadly, we didn't get my all-time favourite crowd spot, which is a Seth Rollins doing a moonsault off a fat guy. But we do get what is my favourite spot of the match, early doors, which is a uh, little tornado DDT that Zombie Dragon does off the chair. 
really good. Yeah, I like yeah, that. That's great. So yes, the chain is very much knotted at this point, which makes a attempted Hokamana from Zombie Dragon somewhat hazardous. Ill-advised is the word I would yes. use. I would have ran that past a committee, first of all, certainly. <laughs> the Uncle Money catches him and swings him into the stage. There's a brawl in the crowd, so they go up the steps at this point, and some of the fans just get in the way of the camera and start flashing peace signs. That's very good. That made it really feel like an indie show. Like I remember at the time I went to, which I mentioned on the podcast before, went to see PCW at Prism Nightclub in Leeds because tickets were a tenner and... The card had Shigehiro Uye versus Jeff Cobb and also an appearance from Filthy Tom Lawler. And me and my friend were just standing there waiting for the show to start. We got asked to move because we were blocking the camera and that's where they were filming from. There's definitely been whole matches. Actually, remember when we reviewed 6394? The entire DVD is just a fan cam of businessmen in suits getting up to go to the toilet. You can't see anything. <laughs> oh, there's um, also that there's that Gatto move match where the camera got knocked halfway through and they and they didn't realise it. So you've just got a shot of the wall and the crowd and a little notice, which is kind of like weirdly philosophical, which just says, please imagine the unseen. It's very much like that Yoko Ono project where she'd give you like post-it notes or whatever and you'd have to like, and it's definitely something like, please imagine the unseen and stuff like that. Yeah. But this company are already fighting battles when it comes to production. We don't need any more issues with cameras and stuff like that. So the fans get all in the, in the way, and but we managed to get the camera back on them. Uncle Money chucks Zombie Dragon into a door and then takes him backstage. Chairman Al shuts the door and does a little bow, which I thought was uh, thought was great. Before Excellent part. It's, <laughs> it's very good. Before starting a money chant, the cameraman doesn't follow them backstage at this point, so we get a, uh, a couple of minutes just of a door. Shades of a match I saw at WXW 16 Carat back in 2019, and I don't know why they did this. I think they might have been having a feud or something. Jörn Simmons and Avalanche, their first round match was false count anywhere, and the vast majority of the match took place backstage what was presumably a pre-tape they showed us it on the screen it was just them backstage brawling and stuff like that i can't even remember if the finish took place in the ring and i think this was the last thing in the first half of the show because uh, our mutual acquaintance brother mort came up to us in the interval with a big smile on his face and just said that was fucking horseshit <laughs> it reminds me of um one of my, my favorite ever shikara slash redacted matches of all time they once had the longest match uh, in history. Oh, is it? Do you remember this? It's the one and, where they like brought out the door and then came back a week later. <laughs> like, yes. So great, good. great bit of stick. Um, so I actually have another reference which is quite similar to that written down here there was a i think it might have been a comical and sexy pro wrestling wave show which was uh sakura hirota versus uh, yuki miyazaki and there was the usual sakura hirota shenanigans and something very similar to that happened like they brawled out the door and the ref kind of shrugged and then started the next match and then uh, after a few more matches they came back in but for some reason their faces were green <laughs> i just never explained why it's so good because it's christmas i'm gonna slip in a, a short E-Fed shout out everyone's done a match and it was Salman Hashmikov Victor Zangief and oh, Nikita Koloff against Van Hammer and two other jobbers <laughs> yes and uh, Van Hammer and Nikita Koloff were in a blood feud at this time <laughs> and basically they started fighting each other and brawled out the door and Hashmikov and Zangief just turned to the other guys and they had a wee conflab for five minutes about what they should do because they were the legal men and they weren't getting counted out <laughs> and it panned <laughs> back and it was in like a TV studio and it <laughs> panned back and I, I had done it so that um, they invaded to set or strike at Rich for Michael Bannymore and set off the <laughs> fire alarm. We don't need to be, be introducing more cancel people into the 
like in the street. Yeah, and they just brawl through. It's like the audience of Strike It Rich comes out and Michael Barrymore's just running about screaming, I don't know what's going on. And the police turn up and the fire is it's amazing. I love it. And uh, Michael Barrymore had turned up on here, six stars, right? Morgan High, singing Backstreet Boys. Why is Michael Barrymore like FMW, David? Don't, don't say that. They're both responsible for bad things happening in a pool. Dirk Richter was a good man, George. <laughs> <laughs> Leave him alone. So back to the match. The ref here is doing a, an extremely bad job of pretending the door is locked when it clearly isn't, because you see it opening a little, a little bit. Chairman Al, again, much better at this, a consummate professional. Eventually, Zombie Dragon emerges, having got the better of Uncle Money at some point in the last couple of minutes. Hits him with the chair a few times. That is a pretty cool broke kick looking thing. Yeah, that was, considering the quality of the match, yeah, that was that was a high point. It really was. Uh, they're going back towards the ring now. The commentator is putting over how violent and demonic the match has been. In reality, it has been extremely tame stuff. They've not even like done any blood or really any moves or much that actually involves the chain at all. No, I was hoping for like some sort of mad Mexican blood brawl, like LA Park Rush. So, you know, they've set this up to be like, so it's about fucking demons and shit. And like they've given an anime video that's like 10 minutes long. I mean, give me a bit of colour, guys. Uh, Money drives Zombie Dragon into the post and Zombie Dragon gets a chair from under the ring but Uncle Money just punches it out of his hands again like always going to pop for that genuinely a cool moment back to the ring and Uncle Money hits a world strongest slam goes to the top but Zombie Dragon just eats a chair at his head and jerks him off the top rope as uh, JR would say with the chain Uh, at this point (laughs) this is my personal highlight of the match the chain breaks no, not what you want, let's be honest. No, no, this is the last thing we wanted to happen. Yes, uh, it, it really is. I mean, genuinely, like, pretty decent save by the commentator saying that, aha, the rules state that the opponents have to start the match chained up, but it doesn't say anything about ending it. Oh, it's so silly. They went full Fleetwood Mac on this. <laughs> Running in the shadows. <laughs> So Zombie Dragon hits a uh, top rope leg drop onto the chair, which is on Uncle Money's face. Chairman Al just breaks up the pin at one. No fucking around with Chairman Al. He doesn't get paid by the minute. <laughs> and, uh... <laughs> this man is not doing any oversight. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, then he hits uh, Zombie Dragon with possibly the worst chair shot I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah, it's not, it's not great. I mean, it, it's Hulk Hogan 2000 WCW, isn't it? With his oh, feather duster chair shots. I, I, I really is. Like, I'm, you know what? I'm sure they're great to take, but maybe don't do them. If you're going to be like that, Zombie Dragon just kips up after the chair shot and gives Al the miss. That was great. He goes for a stunner, gets countered, but then he kind of, kind of hits an Oscutter type thing for a two count. And so this is the kind of bit where the actual wrestling takes place. Uncle Money, a knee lift, takes down Zombie Dragon and uh, then he wraps the chain, which is now completely loose, around his wrists and does a boxer, like heavy bag style punch combination in the corner. It's like one of Uncle Money's main signature spots. And he gets a belly to belly onto the chair onto Zombie Dragon, but he doesn't go to the pin. Instead, hits a pretty good looking spear. That only gets to, and then he goes for his patented finisher, the money lock. It is a Boston Crab. Like, one of his legs is in a little bit of a different position, but it is to all intents and purposes a Boston Crab. Who amongst us 
has not watched eight thousand Young Lions matches and has been desensitised us to be. It could it could finish a match. How many Renneria matches have I sat through? Well, that's <laughs> been the finish. Like it might be. You never know. Then Dubai, who I keep wanting to call the baby, which is not the fellow's name. Julie Pa with the baby. <laughs> Lad baby comes in. Right, while your laptop was booting back up, I saw this article. It's like a news round article on BBC which said who's gonna be the Christmas number one and it said Lad Baby were not going to release a Christmas single this year. It's like fuck off, weren't you? Come on. Presumably they've managed to escape their captors, so we're holding them at gunpoint to stop them releasing a single and if Have you seen what they're doing, by the way? <sighs> it's a song with Martin Lewis, isn't it? They are it? doing a song with Martin Lewis called He's literally just like, do they know it's Christmas? I I should tell you, in, in work on Wednesday or Tuesday, in Tuesday in work, they're trying to get everyone to sing Band-Aid for like a oh, video for, for work. I've done that before. It never goes well. It never goes well. And I had to decline on the basis that everything I sing now sounds like a terrorist chant. And I realised that the only time I sang Band-Aid in the last 10 years is to abuse Motherwell fans. Um, <laughs> feed the well, let them know it's Christmas. And I was like, oh God, I couldn't do it. I mean, if I sang Lady in Red, you'd think that she played it centre-back. Um, <laughs> so I, I understand that some famous musicians are taking part as well. I actually think it would be better if they just got Martin Lewis to sing all of the parts from Band-Aid. Martin Lewis doing an impression of Bono. Martin Lewis doing Sting, Martin Lewis doing Geld off. Like Mike Oldfields and, and Dolce Jubilee or just playing like 28 instruments. It's just, the video just keep bigger and bigger and it's all Mike Oldfield. I, I, I do like that. You know what, lad, baby? If you'd done that, I'd have been like, I fair play. That's great. Like that Joe Pasquale episode of Doctors where everybody's Joe Pasquale. It's oh, yes. Possibly when British TV peaked, Dubai comes in and he comes in to make the save and then Zombie locks in his own money lock and Dubai chokes Uncle Money out with the chain. So we actually do get a chain choking spot right at the end. Uh, Uncle Money, uh, he doesn't tap actually. The kayfabe explanation for this, I kind of did like this. This was good. That the match was, oh, stopped. I love this. I yeah, the match was stopped because the sponsors said they would cut the broadcast off due to, and I quote, hellacious violence. I am stunned, stunned that WCW or TNA have never used this before. It is so WCW that like, I absolutely loved it. It was brilliant. The sponsors are going to cut their funding. Jackie Lowe is running MKW and she's, she's scared of the sponsors leaving. As far as I know, the sponsor of this is the Chinese government. So presumably you wouldn't want to piss them off. I mean, fair. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's a psyop. It's like that restaurant next to Nice and Sleazy's. <laughs> Allegedly. <laughs> Allegedly. And yeah, that's the match. I think we can both agree, iffy in part as it was, it was definitely a cut above last year's. I mean, last year was a genuine low point in terms of us doing this podcast. <laughs> just just in my life. Yeah, just in life. But in, in terms of doing this podcast, so literally anything, anything will do better than that. I did enjoy the finish, I'm not going to lie. I was an absolute sucker for the finish. Oh yeah, um, the, the finish was great. It actually had some genuinely cool moments. It's just there really wasn't literally anything else in the match that was arresting or good in any way. Absolutely not. No, it's it's a game of two halves. You get the highs, you get the lows, you get the creamy middles. But um, yeah, better than last year. Not oh, a compliment. Yeah, I would say that is the lowest of the low bar to clear. You know, I always have a good time when watching MKW. I think we, we said before, there was a kind of charm to it, as charming as a, a sparsely attended indie promotion funded by the Communist Party of China's Belt and Road Initiative can be. <laughs> um, um, I mean, I feel like it's one of those things, you know, how like when 
you know, socialists are always, oh, well, we might not necessarily like Hugo Chavez that much. However, we do kind of need to support him because whatever they replace it with will be far worse. We kind of just need to support MKW. They are, yes. <laughs> yes. They are Chinese government psyop, but as well as that, if you get rid of them, Evolve might turn back up and we'll open once that. Oh, God. Uh, second Evolve China tour, President Xi send the missiles. <laughs> I think we can all agree that the day we review Evolve in Beijing is the day this podcast ends. Like it really is the the sentence you would say when everything is not well. Like we're kind of honing it in reserve, and when we run out of stuff, like we need call time at that point. But yeah, I enjoyed this twenty eight minute long video. Um, it was quite it was, long, wasn't it? It was it was quite the tome. But um, yeah, festive frolics. That's what this this whole thing is all about at the end of the day. So we have been the Puro Puro Podcast. That was our Christmas special. We will be back with some content in the new year. We will continue with Big Egg Podcasting Universe. We will continue with our episodes looking at the Soviet Union. And we, of course, we have got our January the 4th special. And we've already decided what we're going to be talking about, which will, of course, be the entirety of New Japan's Wrestle Kingdom 17. Sam Nakano versus Kairi Sane. I cannot wait. To be fair, I might watch that match. And I'm going to watch Oleg Bolton. And I might watch the Muto match. Right. I probably will watch it. Mainly under duress after about match four. I'm not going to lie. But I've kind of invested enough time in it where I'm like, ah, right. Okay, fair enough. We'll go for this. I'm not pushing glitter at the prospect of Akata versus Jay White. As the the shot after the Osprey Omega chaser that we're going to have. But... I cannot say no to a show that has both an Antonio Inoki farewell match and a great Muta farewell match. But, I mean, I think we should probably announce that we're basically going to become, like, an Oleg Boltan sort of current affairs show. I mean, we're just going to let every month just review any singles matches they had. I, I would absolutely love that. Like, that would be so much fun if we just if we just knuckle down and just devote ourselves to Oleg Boltan. And I say this, 15% is a joke. 85% as a real thing. Um, I think that would be quite fun. So I think that me and you, George, I think we should do the Boltan Digest or something like that in, in the new year. I think that would be so much fun. We'll track this guy. And then this Kazakh wrestler is going to Google his name and it's just going to be us that keeps coming up. And he's going to I wonder mean, if I mean, you know Truman we, show. We could legit cover his debut match in the Soviet episodes. Yeah, absolutely. We probably should do that, to be fair. Yeah, I mean, we'll be covering it at the January 4th show because obviously we always do Wrestle Kingdom. And, yeah, 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 uh, absolutely. Yeah. Every single minute of Wrestle Kingdom will be analysed in great detail by us, as you've all come to know and love from our January the 4th special. There'll be absolutely no bait and switches this year, I promise. Hand on up. I will say, like, the first three matches of the show are like Oleg Boltan, the Rambo and some daft Enochiism match, like, isn't it? It's like some stupid, like, Tatsumi Fujinami against, like, old lads. Like, I'm like, this is the best Wrestle Kingdom lineup ever, and then they just kind of kept going after that. <laughs> Carl Anderson, who, as we now know, is the current and reigning never openweight champion defending the belt against Tamatonga. Um, Every day is a skill day. All, all I'm saying is, if Sarah and I were hosting again, like we did in 2020, that would be the point at which we would put the lawn sausage on the grill and get breakfast going. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. That is, I, that's a lawn sausage match, if ever I saw one. So, yes, that is it for the Christmas special. Like I say, we will see you in 2023, where obviously the world is just going to get better and better. All of these interrelated crises will just go away and everything is going to be hunky dory. But before we usher you into the brave new world that is next year, uh, let us do some plugs. So, uh, on Daniel's behalf, I would like to plug his uh, music. It's, uh, is it still Ship Canal? Yeah, so Ship Canal and Handloom Lament. Handloom Lament, that's it. Ship Canal, Handloom Lament, you can buy his music. He has got a very good podcast called The Echo of the Thunder. That is about uh, Irish republicanism, of which Daniel, uh, as you uh, may have gleaned from earlier in the episode, is somewhat of an enthusiast and also a historian thereof. He has interviewed a number of uh, academics and also people who are actually involved in the Irish Republican struggle. Uh, it's a really, really fascinating listen and covers all sorts of things, such as the role of women in the struggle, the commonalities between that and the, uh, the Spanish Civil War. Really, really good uh, listen. Okay, David, what you got? To be honest with Daniel, if you listen to how he spent the day after the Queen dies and don't think, I want to listen to his Irish Republican podcast, <laughs> then I don't know what to say to you because clearly that's going to be a cracker. So I run, <laughs> funnily enough, <laughs> I run a Patrick Fissel podcast and obviously I'm, I'm still editing the last Big Egg podcast and on that, we talk about how, how I, I talk, it's I talk about, not we, about how the covers in a total state and were ran by a despot and all this. Da, 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 da. In that time, as we mentioned earlier, we've had some incredible things happen. The chairman stood down, entire board stood down. We've had some incredible statements of bitterness from everyone. Whirlwind time. So, of course, this is the time we take a three week break because we literally released the last episode an hour before they broke the news. And we haven't recorded since. And that was about <laughs> 10 days ago. I'm pretty sure, seeing as they put out a statement going, we have put the undersoil heating on. This match will definitely be going on. That says to me that game is getting postponed on Saturday. So we will, not, we will not be doing anything there. But we, I'm sure we'll do something over Christmas or whatever. But yeah, we are currently chronicling the, the new dawn with Partick Thistle. It is an incredible time to be a Thistle fan. The two fan ownership groups that came together, and they're bringing in a whole bunch of people. I, funnily enough, they, they're talking to, they've done a working group and they've got in, so for example, the LGBTQ supporters group. We're one of the trailblazers in terms of having an actual like LGBTQ supporters group. We've had it for ages and we've done a lot of stuff and a lot of other clubs have followed us because of it. We've been really, really forward thinking with that. They've got involved with the working group. Jags are good as well, who are doing donations at every game they're also doing a cuddly toy donation oh. for to give every is corpse grinder involved i think corpse grinder is on the part of this board at this point but yeah they're doing a thing where they're doing they're literally doing the old lutcher trope of everyone has to ring a, a cuddly toy and throw it onto the pitch before the game and then they're going to donate them all to people to give kids their first teddy for like, their first christmas which is an okay, incredible thing great. i've mentioned before but my wife has a cuddly toy that she got for her first Christmas. It's like, I'm literally staring at it now. It's actually on her bed at the moment. It's 34 years later. It's our most prized possession. You know, I'm so excited for them to do that and then have other people have the same thing happen. It's an incredible thing they're doing. But the other person that was listed was, so it was all like Neil Cowan from Jags Are Good, this person from Proud Jags, and Jack Carson from the John Lambie stand, because he's not part of an affiliation. He was just literally, he sits in the John Lambie and he's part of this. But yeah, so we're doing that. We're going to do lots of stuff in terms of a fan ownership. It's a great time to be a Thistle fan. And yeah, we're going to win the league. Apart from the results on the pitch, but you know. Apart from the results <laughs> on the pitch, everyone's going to turn around. Kevin Holt's back next week. It's going to be great. And yeah, so we're doing that. 
And as well as that, I'll give a shout out to my friend Lindsay, who does the Glasgow Football Tour podcast. I've appeared on that. I've also edited some stuff for her as well. She does lots of, if you ever want to, you ever want to find out about football in Glasgow, sort of the more esoteric end of it, or just in terms of how the social aspect of it and stuff like that. She does a Patreon, it's £2 or £1 a month and some absolutely fantastic content. And yeah, it's great stuff, um, just the sort of stuff that people are doing is brilliant. And yeah, just do that and donate to charity and give a cuddly toy to Jags for Goods or whatever. And in fact, if you want to take one plug away from this, if you know someone who has had a kid and it's their first Christmas, buy them a cuddly toy. You will not regret it. It's a very upbeat and festive I mean, we, we have to do something actually festive. It can't just be like <laughs> crowing over the Queen dying and stuff. Exactly. So as far as what I've got to plug, buy my novel, The Rise and Fall of Rikidozan via Kindle or uh, print-on-demand paperback. I've plugged this a lot of times. It's, it's very good. Not my words, the words of eight random people on Amazon. So do, do check that out. You can read some writings of ours at I maintain the double foot stomp is silly.com. We write on all sorts of wrestling-related subjects. Give us a follow at Puro Podcast on the Twitter. There is also a Puro Puro Podcast Discord. You'll probably have to DM us for the link. That is basically something I've set up in case Twitter goes down. <laughs> In case Elon just torches the remains of this clearly decaying social media platform. Uh, Yeah, so you can follow us on Twitter, listen to us on SoundCloud, Apple Music and Stitcher Radio. I have a Twitch as well where I I stream most Thursdays at 8pm. I try and do every Thursday. Obviously, sometimes life gets in the way. I mostly stream Mahjong, which I have represented Great Britain the last couple of years. I do tournaments here and there. I just explain about how the game works and there's just some general chat and hanging out. Sometimes I play other games as well, uh, like uh, mostly deck builders and RPGs, if that's your bag. Uh, sometimes I do that. As well as that, like David says, donate stuff you don't need to charity, uh, support your local strike fund, etc, etc, etc. Oh, one other plug. Oh, yes, yes, yes go it's for very, it. Very, very pertinent. Give a shout out to Luke Keeley, resident January the 4th expert. <laughs> he just loves Tokyo Dome so much. He does a substack, moistersearing.substack.com. Some amazing writing if you ever want to get into Joshi, find out the, the lay of the land in terms of what's going on and stuff like that. It's great. Me and George have also guested this month. We have both contributed to the match of the year um, article with... It was meant to be 200 words. I think mine was at 265 words, and I think it wasn't the only person that did that. <laughs> I actually was under the word count for the first time in my life. <laughs> um, yeah, so I talked about Asher Kong and Maxim Paylor's fracas at Wrestle Princess. Oh, um, so fucking good. Yeah, and what was the match you done again? Oh, I... You done you the Raccoon what? Ram... Um, yeah, yeah, I can't... You? you know what? I can't even remember who is actually in that match. <laughs> I know that it's the match where Raku and Chairman Ram entered as a couple seem to be married, and my main argument was the match itself doesn't actually matter, the entrance is really cool, and that's what I'm going to remember. So I just wrote about the entrance for you know, 180-odd words. So I would definitely suggest uh, you read that. It's a great writing, even when I'm not writing on it. Definitely subscribe to that. Yeah, we like to support our friends' endeavours. And with that, I shall bid you adieu for this year. And I shall see you in 2023. Now, fuck off.